Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Morning, everybody. What is going on? One and all, Rob Ellis, Bill Calarulo. We are Sports State, Jacob Sports YouTube Network. Bill, what's going on, my man? How you making out? Oh, good, my brother. Just finished up the power hour. A lot of the crew was in the house, obviously talking about Joel Embiid and that historic performance. So some good stuff, some positivity in Philadelphia. Today. Yeah, it was nice distraction, that's for sure. What's up, Jim G? What's up, Mike? What's up, David? What is up, Wine? What is up, Flexin? What is up, William, James, Mo? Let's see. Who didn't I get here? Uh, Jimmy. Jimmy, what's going on? What is up, Amreus? What is up, Bry Guy? What is up, William, Jason, uh, Blatorian, Anthony? I see you. I see you, Matt. I uh, hope everybody's doing well out there. Yeah, that was uh, that was one for the ages, right? I mean, we we throw so much hyperbole out there, and the word historic and great, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, when you drop a seventy spot, and there's only been eight other players in the history of the game to do it, and no one in a Sixers, I know Wilt did it in a Warriors uniform, you know, when he dropped a hundred, but nobody in a Sixers uniform has ever done that with the with the storied history of this team. Incredible. Just flat out incredible what he was doing last night. The crazy thing for me is I went and looked at the list because there's nine players ever that have put up 70 points. And as I'm reading the names on the list, four names that weren't on there shocked me. Jordan never put up 70, put up 69, yep. never put up 70. LeBron never put up 70. Shaq never put up 70. And obviously, AI never put up 70. And I'm looking at that. I'm thinking, man. But you know the crazy thing too, Rob, not to take anything away, because what Joel Embiid is doing is just, we're, we're watching greatness before our very eyes. We are. But it's interesting because you look and look, Wilt did it in the 60s, and then you had to wait all the way till 1978 to get somebody else to do it. And then after 78, you got 1994 when the Admiral David mm -hmm. Robinson did it. Then you got to wait all the way until 2006 when Kobe does it, then you got to wait all the way till 2017 yeah. when Devin Booker does it. But then somehow 
three players do it in the last year and a half. <laughs> yeah, it is weird, man. And it, it, the crazy thing was last night was the 18th anniversary of Kobe dropping the 81. That was cool. so, you know, just freaky, man. It's just so strange. But I mean, you could just tell from the jump, like he's been great all year. Don't get me wrong, but he was really up for, for showing the young lad, you know, who, who was the man, you know, that was a Wemby you're really good and you're going to be incredible, but this is my league right now. You're not there yet. Little fella, ironically yeah. enough, who's seven foot a thousand, but no, I mean, he was really, you could tell right away he had it going on. And the most incredible thing was if you look at the, his line from the night bill, you know how everybody's always complaining that he's he's taking too many threes and he's always out on the perimeter and all this and that. Not last night. I mean, almost everything was either like foul line or in the paint of of the of the seventy that he put up. And you talk about efficiency: twenty four of 41, 21 of twenty three from the free throw line. For the amount of times he had the ball in his hands, he had one turnover. You know, and five assists and eighteen rebounds. It was it wasn't just a scoring thing where like Kareem, uh, Carl Anthony Towns last night went for 62, right? And his coach after the game went crazy about it, basically saying this was selfish basketball. They lost the game on top of it. Like, and B did stay in the flow and was making really good passes. He was making, you know, basketball plays. It was awesome. That is pretty crazy that Carl Anthony Towns puts up 62. And not only is he playing second fiddle to Embiid, they lose the damn game. I mean, and that's his just, own coach rips him basically. That was crazy, man. But you know, I said it on my show earlier, the Philly Sports Power Hour, and I'm guilty of this too. We are so focused on can the Sixers finally get out of the second round that I think we are failing to appreciate the greatness we are watching on the hardwood right now totally. because we've never seen anybody do this. It's crazy what he's doing. Like the craziest stat for me, Rob, was. He's played 1,096 minutes this season, and he's put up 1,156 points. <laughs> it's the it's highest a- average of points per minute in NBA history. That's Wilt. That's Jordan. That's any great that you want to throw out there. That's the highest. Like, that's, that's how great. I'm with you. Like, I'm really – I'm starting to get really bothered by this, Bill. Like, I understand it. I get Sixers fans' frustration over the years. I'm right there with you. And I know he didn't show up in Game 7 – and nobody did in Game 7 last year against Boston. Yeah. I, I'm not discounting that. But you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Like, if you claim to be a, a sports fan and a Sixers fan, to do the I'm not paying a bit of attention to them until the second round, okay, knock yourself out. But you're missing unbelievable performances here by this guy. It, it is. I mean, you look at the things he's doing. First of all, he leads the NBA – in scoring, as we all know, at 36.1 points a game, Luca is two and a half points below him. That's like a drastic difference in the end. Huge. And the stat line he's putting up, he's averaging 36 points a game, over 11 rebounds a game, close to six assists a game. We haven't seen averages like that in the NBA. No. Maybe ever, maybe Wilt did it back in the day, but yeah, yeah I want to try to. And like I said, I'm guilty too, Rob. Mm. You're talking about people not enjoying it. I'm paying attention, but every time I watch him dominate, it's like, okay, do it in the playoffs, Joel. Yeah. Do it in the playoffs. And I want to remind myself, hey, enjoy the ride here because what you're watching, you may never see again. Right. And we're going to have Keith Pompey at 1230 to you know, cover the game last night, put it all in perspective for us. But, yeah, I mean, otherworldly uh, is the best way. Like He's averaging three more points per game this year than he averaged last year when he won the MVP. 
Yeah. Think about that. I mean, that's incredible what he's doing. So props to him, man. And, and I think Nick Nurse is getting the best out of him too. It, it has been, it's been a joy to have Nick Nurse coach this team, you know, to get away from the Doc River stuff and to get away from Harden. It's a, it's a whole different vibe. That's all I can tell you with the Sixers team. Yeah, and that's one of the things to talk about the playoffs, even though I said, hey, enjoy it, don't look ahead. But to talk yeah. about the playoffs is, yeah, they do have a better coach now. Yeah. They do have some more depth. I still think they're missing that third score, and we, we could talk about that. But they have a lot of depth. They're very well coached. Joel is playing on a different level. So there is hope that they're going to do something this postseason because unlike other years, too, there's no dominant NBA team. Yeah, the Celtics are good. The mm -hmm. Bucks are good. The Pacers will probably be better with Pascal Siakam. The Heat are going to turn it on in the playoffs. But none of those teams are, yeah, they're guaranteed to go to the NBA championship like we've seen in previous years. So it, it's wide open, man. Yeah, it, it certainly is. So that's, you know, obviously a huge story uh, that came down last night. But – the other big story, there's a couple, um, you know, here that we know of. One, tomorrow, uh, you'll have Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman meeting with the media, which is going to be fascinating on a million levels, right? But what we also know now, and our own Derek Gunn reported this yesterday, and then Jeff McLean, who we had on the program yesterday as well, uh, essentially confirmed what he, what, what Gunner's report was, that Brian Johnson's out. Now, Bill, I, we, we talked about this, you and I, on the on the program yesterday, but I just want to follow up. For me, the only way that Sirianni could possibly come back, the only way that I could possibly have any kind of optimism about 2024 is if both coordinators were gone. And this is the other part I need to know. I got to know. I don't want Nick scheming it up. So, like, to me, that gives you a, a whole fresh outlook. Like, that's a clean slate for Jalen Hurts. In the and this offense, we'll get into the defense, but and this offense to start anew. If not, you still have the same old sort of like whisper down the lane stuff. You still have a lot of the same issues. I, I think they had to go full bore and both guys be out. This is exactly what I wanted. When I let all the dust settle and the emotions subside from that last game, I said, okay, I want them to bring back Nick Sirianni. I think he did earn the right to come back, but we need to coordinators we we got to get rid of the offensive coordinator have to get rid of the defensive coordinator so for me this is the perfect situation now as much as we wanted this i saw a report this morning from jay fowler at espn yeah he's saying there's some weird vibes jeremy, out there. jeremy fowler jeremy yep. fowler yep there's some weird vibes out there i just don't know that everybody on the staff is happy about everything that's gone down especially with brian johnson who was sort of caught in the middle We'll see what other staff changes are made. I think there are people on the staff that may not want to be there because of some of the dysfunction that went on the last few months. It could go beyond a couple coordinators. So that's interesting to me because all of us are like, yeah, get, get rid of Brian Johnson. Get him the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. But maybe everyone on the staff didn't necessarily feel that way. So a lot of questions surrounding that, this team. That's what we – and I don't think it, it behooves Brian Johnson to air all the dirty laundry, but that's what I would ultimately like to know is just how hamstrung was this guy with Siriati's game plan? Like I, that's gotta be a very difficult thing, man. You're the offensive coordinator, but you're essentially calling plays that you may not even like for that team you're going against. And I, therein, I think lies the problem. That's why I, Nick's got to get it. You, I, Hey man, you're a CEO but you're not game planning this stuff anymore. I don't care that your background is offense. The guy you hire has got to game plan it and call it. That way it is true to his heart. 
And I think that's the way that you can really connect with the quarterback is, Hey, you know, man, let, let's play to your strengths here. Let's do what you like to do best. Let's, you know, you're obviously you're attacking the other team too, but I think that's a big problem. And I, and, and people see that people see that on the staff. Now, could a lot of those people who have issues be gone too? Yeah, they could. But I think therein is something that Howie and Jeffrey need to recognize that it's an issue. And I don't know yet if they do. Like, if that's got to be one of the questions asked tomorrow. And I need to know where that stands. Are you going to continue to game plan this thing, Nick? Or do you just have some say in it? Are you going to let whoever your OC is be the primary game player? I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah, I want some answers too tomorrow, but unfortunately, Rob, I don't think we're going to get any. I mean, I think they're going to just spin and spin and spin, and they're going to talk about. They're going to say collaborative. You're going to hear exactly. that word a lot. That was yeah. the word I was just going to say. It's all going to be this was a collaborative effort because the other thing I want to know is who made the dreadful decision to basically drive the nail in the coffin of this season and switch defensive coordinators with four games left. Whose decision was that? Was that Howie Roseman's? Was that Nick Sirianni's? And I think you'll hear the same thing. Oh, well, it was a collaborative decision, and we came to the decision what we thought was best for this football team. But So I don't think we're going to get a lot of answers tomorrow, but maybe there'll be some little nuggets in there that we can play yeah. with. But. Let, me, let me give you this from Zach Berman, uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at ZBerm, Zach Berman, P-H-L-Y. Uh, he said, uh, he tweeted out a little while ago, much more to learn on the staff changes, more reporting to come. But one last point. There's also a major shift from Sirianni who works coaches hard, but has remarkable uh, is remarkably loyal. Uh, he barely made a staff change on his own volition during the first three years. My understanding is that a side change at midseason was trying for Sirianni. So you can read into that, that that came from upstairs, okay? And then yeah. and Zach goes on to say, then again, in fairness, it was probably more trying for Desai, which he's right. He's a coach's coach, and he wants to build an internal pipeline on his staff for development and promotions but this type of staff upheaval is a departure from how the eagles have operated during the past three years so you know again this this never felt like to me at least it never felt like nick was the one pulling the trigger on the decide thing i just think that kind of decision making goes way above his head to jeffrey and howie yeah and i know when he gave his press conference right after the cowboys game he was asked early in the week are you going to make a change to defense coordinator? And he said, we have complete faith in Sean Desai. That's why I hired him. And I know after it got reported by Glazer a few days later, he said, oh, I, I didn't tell you guys the truth because I didn't have an opportunity yet to talk right. to the players. Well, if you watch that press conference, that didn't feel like a spin from Sirianni. It felt like he truly was going to stick with Sean Desai. Right. So I agree. I think someone came to him and said, no, you're switching defensive coordinators. but." I'm hopeful that they're going to bring in two coordinators that are veterans. At first, I was like, you know what? I want to get a young offensive mind in here. I want a guy who is going to be able to think ahead and do these different things. But I saw a stat this morning. Jalen Hurts is now going to have his seventh offensive coordinator in the last eight years when you go all the way back to college. Mm -hmm. I want a guy that's going to come in here that if he does have success, isn't going to get poached for a head coaching job. And the name that keeps popping to my head is Frank Reich because he's not going to be a head coach again in this league. Same thing on defense. Ron Rivera is a name that came up. I'm starting to convince myself that those are the two guys I want because I'm thinking they can come in here. They've both been head coaches for two different organizations. 
they can come help immediately give credibility to this staff with the players, their veteran presence. They can guide Nick Sirianni. They've done it for many, many years. And if we do have success this coming season, you're not going to lose those guys. They're probably here for another five years because I don't think either one of them is getting in a head coaching opportunity again. So I'm convincing myself those are the two names I like, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, th- there's no doubt. Like the the, the, the quote-unquote, not my words, but the, you know, the, a lot of people use the retread sort of guys, like who, who have had their shots at, at head coaching gigs who aren't – like. let's face it, let's be real. Ron Rivera is not getting another head coaching job. So therefore – the, the veteran guys are the ones likely to stick around longer, right? And then depending on what you do on the offensive side, Frank Reich's not getting it. Frank Reich's been fired twice in three years. He's not getting another head coaching job. And if he does, it will be a long time from now. And who knows if he even wants to do it at that point. So if you're, if you're main, one of your main priorities or one of your main objectives is continuity, it's going to be the older guys. I don't know that you can necessarily operate that way. Like I got to get whoever I think is the best in there to help this guy and be the guy being hurts and get the most out of him and the most out of this offense. Cause I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what next year holds. I don't know what the year after that holds. I got to get the most out of these guys right now. First and foremost, job number one, you got to fix the quarterback. You got to get in now. He's not broken necessarily, but you got to get him right to where he was last year. Not what we saw this year, whoever it is. It's got to be a coach that can work with quarterbacks. And that's another reason why I like Frank Reich is I keep going back to, and maybe we give him too much credit for what happened in 2017, but I keep going back to Wentz goes down, Nick Foles comes in, and Frank Reich, Doug Peterson, John Filippo were forced to modify the offense to take advantage of what Nick Foles did well. They put a lot of those RPOs in, and they basically built an offense to take advantage of Nick Foles' strengths. Right. So that's why I like bringing in a guy like Frank Reich is he can help Jalen Hurts. He can help scheme and game plan offenses that are going to work with Jalen Hurts' skill set. And I also think when we talk about Sirianni, we know his relationship with Frank Reich. Frank Reich's not going to have any problem working with Sirianni to tell him, no, we're not doing that. Or this is the this is what we're going to do because of the relationship that those guys have. You bring in somebody else, I just don't know how that dynamic would work where we know these two guys can work together. And we have seen Frank Reich have success in working with quarterbacks, specifically Nick Foles. Yeah, I mean, look, let's face it. There is so much that rides on this decision. You know, you get it wrong. You know, Jalen may never be the same. And you may look at your $250 million investment and say, man, what, what what the hell happened? You know, that's the thing. You get it right, and you get him back to where he was last year. I know the defense has their own major set of issues. But at least you're a team that can compete offensively and can outshoot teams if you get this thing right. Yeah, I see Big Sills in the chat talking about how Frank Reich's owed $35 million from Tepper. Now, how, how does that work? Because well, I don't, yeah, why is that? I don't understand, Dan, I'll, I'll ask you to follow up. Why is that an issue? Like, that's fine. The Eagles can pay him whatever. It, it, I don't think it works where the Eagles would be assuming that contract. If it is, then he's out. Then you don't touch him. <laughs> but I guess the question is, and Big Sills can weigh in here, if he takes a job here, do the Panthers still owe him the 35? Yeah, I, that's a good point. Yeah, like if, I, if I'm if I'm Frank Reich, frankly, no pun intended. I am uh, I'm collecting my check, that giant check, rather than coming here. 
does he want to do it is, is what Dan's asking. Then that's fair. I, I'm of the belief, and again, I don't know. The only, Dan, I would normally say, and Bill, I would normally say um, that in this case, after what he's been through the last couple of years in Indianapolis and Carolina, you take some time. You take some time, you reevaluate things. You may not yeah. even want to do this anymore. However, the only differences, the only catch, I guess, if you will, is he is so tight with Sirianni. Exactly. They are such good friends that if anybody could get him out of, you know, get him off the island, if you will, it might be Sirianni. That's the only thing I would I would say regarding that. That's the only difference. Now, the other question here, too, is Frank Reich has experience being in this building. He has experience working with Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie and specifically True. the quote-unquote analytics department. Does he want to come back to Philadelphia? Now, that's a question. Maybe it's not even about the money. Maybe it's not even the $35 million. Maybe it's just, you know what? I've worked for that organization. I'll pass. Yeah, I'll wait for be. another opportunity. It very well could be. Uh, Xander says he thinks Frank loses money on that if he takes the job. I, I, yeah, I need to find out uh, you know, if that is the case and how that works. Um, so we'll see. You know, We'll see. It, it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening. He's very close to Nick. As I, yeah, and Eagles won. And the Eagles won. He loves the owner. Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I, I, it's hard for me to get inside of Frank Reich's head right now with the way he's been sort of bounced around the last couple of years. Yeah. And you're still you still got a ton of money coming to you to not have to do anything, like to not have to deal with any aggravation. Like he may welcome it and say, I don't have to be a head coach. I don't have to stand up there and answer all the stuff that a head coach has to answer. That's exactly. that's Nick's job. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do my thing on the offensive side. I'm good. You know, I'm good. I don't know. I I again it's hard to say, but it is fascinating. They they generally tend to, toward the younger people, the up and comers over the vets if they're bringing in a Rivera if they bring in a Reich and we you know fill in the blank with some of the other people that, that, that could be out there that'll show you that they are looking to change up philosophically from the way they've been doing things yeah, and, and some of the names we heard on the defensive side of the ball would lead you to believe that they are Wink Martindale first and foremost not only a veteran guy of like you said a retread but a guy who blitzes like crazy, that's not right. usually what they want. So that was an interesting one. But I had Gunner on my show last night, and I asked Derek, "Who? what other names you hearing, offensive coordinator? We heard Jim Bob Cooter. Outside of him, we haven't really heard anyone. He said, and he has his fingers on the pulse. He hasn't heard any names. He said they're keeping this one really close to the vest with regard to who they're talking to for the next offensive coordinator. So it's mm -hmm. anybody's guess. Uh, it's, look, it's uh, it, it is that's they're going to be, and I'm with you. They'll probably stonewall. They'll probably filibuster. They'll probably give you coach speak and GM speak tomorrow, and that's fine, whatever. But I, this, I, my anticipation of tomorrow's, you know, press conference, there are going to be some really hard questions asked tomorrow. There are like some be. really pointed <laughs> questions asked tomorrow. Uh, I'll ask you, Bill. I know you. You know you'll be busy doing what you're doing here for Jacob, et cetera. You won't be there. I won't either. I'll be here. Uh, but you tell me what would be the the one question that you would want answered if you were asking those two guys. What would it be? And we talked about it a little earlier. The the question that is still bothering me, and I don't think we'll get an answer to it, is who made that decision okay. to move on from Sean Desai and name Matt Patricia with four games left because. With Nick Sirianni, I know a lot of people wanted him fired, and I told you at first I said I want him gone, and then when I really thought about things, one of the main reasons I'm saying he deserves another shot is because I don't think he made the call. 
to move on from Sean Desai. And that turned out to be the nail in the coffin of the entire season. So if that did come from Howie Roseman, I don't think Sirianni should be held accountable for it. But that's the question I really want to know is who made the decision to move on from Desai at that point in the season. I'm going to cheat. How about you? I'm going to cheat. All right. I'm going to cheat. So I'm going to ask, I want to, I'm firing two off one. Um, Nick specifically, um, why you, you were, you are, you pride yourself on being a guy who really connects to the locker room uh, and the culture of the team. You mentioned the culture quite a bit. Why were you unable to stop the bleeding last year? Why did it look like your team was not giving maximum effort in the second half against the Cardinals in the Giants game and in the Bucks game. How do you how do you explain that? So I would ask that, and I the other question I would want answered is the one I'm beating a dead horse here. I know, but like, are you going to step away from scheming? Or are you going to let your offensive coordinator do that? That's two things I would want to know. I would Howie. There's a million things too. Um, yeah, I was going to say since you get two, I, I'm getting a second. One. Go ahead now. You go because <laughs> I want. I like to this ask, game. You're to, yeah. you go, Bill. Yes, yeah, specifically to Howie Roseman. From what you just saw this season, are you now going to change your philosophy about ignoring the linebacker position on your defense? After what we're watching in the NFL playoffs, seeing Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw and Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen dominate games for these teams, and you just saw your defense get absolutely dominated every week because your linebackers were all aftermarket parts that you were trying to fill in. Have you now changed your philosophy, and can we expect better linebacker play next season? Good question. I like that. All right, let me think. If I could fire one more, uh, one at Howie, since I both of both of these were kind of Nick questions. Um, I'd ask Howie this one, actually. All right, I'm going to say to Howie, um, there were some injury issues and maybe some personnel shortage uh, in your back seven, but how do you explain the lack of productivity from your, from your defensive line? How would you explain that? Howie? What, this, that's a, that's an area where you pay these guys a lot of money, you draft them high and they took a major step back. How do you explain that? Yeah, there's going to be a million. I'm, I'm hoping what, what time is that tomorrow? Have they released the time yet? I don't know if I saw a time for it. Um, I think it's, they usually do stuff around noon, but I don't know. I don't see, I haven't seen a time yet for it. I haven't gotten a, an email from the Eagles saying what time either. Yeah. So if we get that, you know, we'll pass that along, obviously. All right. So uh, we got a lot to do. So Joe Santaliquito had a fascinating story uh, on Bleeding Green Nation regarding Hertz, regarding the Eagles. Uh, you know, is, is there any comparison to the way things went south with Carson Wentz? Um, and he, a lot of detail and he spoke to a lot of different people here, uh, regarding this. So when we come back, we'll talk to Joe about his piece on bleeding green nation at 1230, Keith Pompey to, to, you know, further put in perspective what Joel Embiid did last night with 70 points. We got a ton of other stuff to do in terms of the NFL, in terms of the Eagles and kind of what are the things that need to be fixed first and what the pecking order is for that. We'll do all those kind of things. Don't go anywhere. That's Bill Calarulo. I'm Rob Ellis. We are Sports Take, Jacob Sports YouTube Network. Let's talk about Bravo Pizza of Havertown. Yes, been going there since I was a kid. Family owned since 1985. You get Alex and the crew in there each and every day, uh, putting out the absolute best food possible. They have 20 different styles of pizza. They have slices to go. Uh, they have specialized pizza. However you like it, they will make it for you. But 
if you're not up for pizza, they have fresh pasta, they have sandwiches, they have wraps, they have wings, they have salads. Bravo Pizza of Havertown is also committed to the community. They have fundraisers for charities, for schools, for little leagues, where the proceeds go to those organizations. Uh, they are located at 1305 Westchester Pike Manoa Shopping Center in Havertown, Pennsylvania. 1305 Westchester Pike Manoa Shopping Center, Havertown, PA. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook at the Bravo Pizza of for daily specials and promotions. Give them a call, 610-446-3810, 610-446-3810, Bravo Pizza of Havertown. I remember getting my heart broken when they lost the Super Bowl in 2004. We were big Eagles fans. We moved to South Philly because of the Eagles. When they won, we went straight to Broad Street and uh, everybody was going nuts over there. And it was just a, a memory that you'll never forget. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money 
in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Back. Yes, we are. We are Sports Take, Jacob Sports YouTube Network. That is Bill Calarulo hanging out with us today. I am Rob Ellis, and we are joined now. He has a phenomenal piece on Bleeding Green Nation, and you catch a lot of his work all over the place. That's our guy, Joe Santaliquido. Joe, how you doing, my man? I'm, I'm doing well. Can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. We got you. Hear us? So, yeah, I do. Yeah, you're going to have to put on my beautiful, ugly mug real close. We're getting, we're getting more of Joe's face than you could ever Oh, my God. That's people. that's more of a face than I want to keep in check. Yes. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, Joe. Well, there we go. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have some fun. All right. You're good. This, this could be interesting. Put your seatbelt on, Bill. Here we go. Um, all right, Joe. So, a lot. A lot to discuss out of this, obviously. Mm-hmm. Virtual, a phenomenal piece. Okay. Let, me, let me just tell you that. And, and the craziest thing is it came out five years to the day of your Carson yeah. Wentz piece when yeah. everybody lost their mind, thought you were crazy, and then yeah. it turned out to be kind of perfect. Well, they're not the only ones that think I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's start, let, let's start with this um, when it comes to uh, Jalen. How, mm-hmm. how critical, how important was the fact that he was a lot less accessible this year. How real is that part uh, in terms of how things went for him this season, how he's perceived by his teammates? How big is that to the to the whole you know underlying story here? To this season, how it applies to this season, I think was pretty big. Uh, again, the thing that kept on coming back to me, and, and actually what prompted me to turn around and delve into this, was that I kept on hearing things – and again, Rob, you and I had spoken about this, but for this audience here, um, there were five, six, seven, eight different people. I mean, people that don't even know each other just said, dude's changed. Dude's changed. I mean, he's, again, he's a guarded guy to begin with. Uh, you know how an NFL quarterback they are. They are set off from their other teammates in a lot of ways. Uh, but this is a guarded guy to begin with. And I understand his walls came up even higher when uh, obviously the contracts made, and I understand it. Uh, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I understand it because suddenly John Hurts was placed in a new world. Uh, suddenly he's in that world of, uh, and, and, and we all know that world. I mean, everybody has their hand out. Everybody's looking for something. Um, and he's in a situation. He's not uh, a, a trusting guy. I naturally trusting guy. I see that and understand that. And I think sometimes, um, again, that defensive mechanism, that wall, those walls came up even higher. Uh, so that starts, that goes into the season. That begins the season. I think his training schedule was set off. I think that was a big part of it. And, um, and then you're dealing with, then compounding that, you're dealing with a new OC, a new DC. Uh, and this was a, this was a mess to begin with. And uh, Hertz was, uh, again, his, his guardedness was, was part of it. Um, 
I think, and again, you and I have discussed this, Rob. I think this, all this is, is very correctable. All of this is uh, something there that I, I give Jalen Hurts credit for emotional intelligence. I don't know if the other guy he inherited the position from had that, but I believe, I firmly believe this guy has it. And I think, I think very strongly that he could change. One of the things in the story was about him being a better leader and that at times he defers to A.J. Brown when it comes to to leadership. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, it's almost like the two of them together. uh, Now, I have not been with the two of them together. I've been with the two of them separately, but not the two of them together. Out of the two of them, uh, being together with them separately A.J. Brown has a more dominating personality. I've been in social settings with both of them. I've been in uh, intimate settings with both of them. Jalen is a guy that will go in, and he's the type that will go into the the corner of the room, look at the room, look at the layout, and then slowly weight himself to the center of the room. A.J. Brown will just burst right in. So A.J. Brown has that type of personality. He has, uh, out of the two of them, he's the alpha male. I would say. And then I think we also saw that uh, blatantly on the sidelines. And and I'll, I'll tell you this, the two of them, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys have brothers? I don't. Only okay. child over here. Yeah, same. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I have a brother. God bless him. Love him to death. Jimmy's going to get, he's going to get all mushy over this. But, but I mean, some of the most vehement, nasty ass arguments, and obviously these came when we were children, came with my brother. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it with relatives, with friends, your nastiest, most, most, most strongest arguments, most contentious discussions are oftentimes with family and friends. Yeah, so when those up. guys blow up, mm-hmm. that's that I, I don't take any more into that. That's family to me. That's family blowing up at each other. They're allowed to blow up at each other the way they are. Uh, but what has gotten back to me over and over again, well, through one, two, three, four different layers is that AJ will, I'm sorry, Jalen will defer to AJ Brown. AJ Brown is, um, I know for a fact he's respected in that locker room. Uh, I got to spend quite, quite a bit of time with the guy. He's, he's a really, really, really good dude, uh, which I will share and I have no problem sharing. And I'm sure AJ Brown wouldn't mind sharing this. It's just in, in small talk with him and we were talking and I was teasing him a little bit about some things that I won't get into detail about here. But he, he whips, you know, he reaches into his pocket, takes out his phone, and says, dude, this is the most important thing to me. And he shows me a picture of his family. He says, right after that, it's winning men. You know, I want to win. And uh, I'll go as far as saying that, but he's a good guy. He's an incredibly accountable guy. And I'm not saying Jalen Hurts isn't accountable. Uh, uh, Jalen Hurts is accountable. He could be more accountable. Uh, I'm also not saying Jalen Brown is not a leader, as I worded it in the story. He could be, guys, we all read it. I wrote it. He could be a better leader. He should be a better leader. And I and I actually think he will be a better leader. All right, two two questions, Joe, off of that. Um, what is his relationship currently with Nick Sirianni? And what was it like with Brian Johnson? I know we all assumed that everything was hunky-dory because he, you know, he's known him since he was a kid in Houston and, you know, uh, Brian Johnson played for his dad, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. we have heard things that maybe that soured as well. Where, where did, do you know where that stands? Not that it matters because Johnson's out the door, but yeah. Presently, I, I don't. But what, again, what I can express is, again, what I saw. And I was with both Jalen and Nick. And they get along with one, one another. They get along with one, uh, one another very well. 
I mean, when Hertz, again, I think far more was blown up out of this than it should have been. When Jalen turns around and goes, I didn't even know that was a deal. If you guys all remember that, which I think, you know, went viral. I didn't even know it was a deal that Nick was up. I think that says more about Jalen than his relationship with, with Nick Sirianni. Jalen could be that guy on an island. He is often that guy on an island. Um, when I was with them, he got along very, very well with Nick Sirianni. And the thing, too, that impressed me is, again, when I was with him in the setting I was in, he walks into the room. There might have been around 23 or 24 people in there, uh, a couple of which were Jalen's parents. Jalen shook everybody's hand in that room. And again, that might be a small thing to turn around and look at. But I think that says something about the quality and the character of the guy. I never said he didn't have any character. I never said there was any uh, there, were, there was not any, any qualities to him, leadership qualities to him. What the story said, according to uh, from people telling me, these things are in him. It's up to him to bring those relationships to the surface. Um, I don't know. I, from what I understand, his relationship with Brian Johnson was very, very strong. And and I also go as far as saying this. I don't think it soured. I think there were some issues, obviously, on the field. Um, you know, he had that, you know, he had Linus's blanket. Linus's blanket was that two-year relationship with Shane Steichen. And again, the history of Jalen Hurts is he flourished with consistency. And again, in fairness to Jalen Hurts, he hasn't had a whole lot of consistency. A lot of what happened past this past season, he has a little bit on Jalen. He could read defenses a little bit better. He was a collaborative part of that game plan. It was part of his doing maybe that why they didn't go down the middle of the field. But the also the, the other part of it is that he didn't get much help. He didn't get much help by his coaches. They have to piece things together. I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think he soured on Brian Johnson. Um, and I, and, and that goes with, I feel very strongly John Hurts is kind of a loyal dude. Now, I can speculate on whether or not he lost faith in his play calling. I have the impression, <laughs> from what I do know, that he did. <laughs> yeah. uh, because he and um, him and his favorite receiver sometimes will look at each other, nod. They go rogue a little bit. Yep. So I think there's some validation behind that, whether or not he did lose faith in the play calling of, uh, of Brian Johnson. But Jalen Hurts, the Jalen Hurts that I know, is a pretty loyal dude. And Rob mentioned it earlier. You wrote the story about Carson Wentz. Yeah. <laughs> Carson Wentz turned out to be one of the most shocking declines we've ever seen yeah. in the NFL, especially in Philadelphia. And every fan right now, has this fear that Jalen Hurts is going to be the next Carson Wentz. But you made it clear in your article, yeah. this is not a Carson Wentz situation. Yeah. And make please, us feel good, Joe. Yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll make you feel good. I mean, that was reiterated to me over and over again. Um, I can't get in the specifics of the story. Uh, Rob knows this behind the curtains. Uh, there was a situation on the West Coast during the Super Bowl year. And uh, someone says, you know, someone retold the story. Young man comes up asking the previous quarterback for an autograph. Previous quarterback basically, basically blew the kid off. The individual told me that it wouldn't be Jalen. He would get up, he'd talk to the kid, he'd sign the kid's autograph, <laughs> and he might blow the rest of us off. He would not say anything. <laughs> take care of the kid, but anybody else on the team he would take care of the kid, which I, I think speaks volumes of Jalen Hurts. I I think he came in to. Uh, a whole lot of money. He's 25 years old. He came into a whole new world of bright lights, big city, Hollywood. 
this is a dude, and this is from someone very, 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 very close to Jalen Hurts. She told me, Jalen would rather be working out, throwing in Texas heat, and not doing commercials and not building his brand. Uh, I'm not blaming mm-hmm. his representation. They had to do what they had to do to help him out and 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 make some you know make make him have him make some money. I understand that. I see that. Um, but I also uh, I also know that and again, even in the story, there was no doubt about his work ethic. There was no doubt about who he is, what he's about. And I have no doubt whatsoever. And I'll stick my reputation on. John Hurts is going to make a comeback. John Hurts is going to have a better. 2024 year now i don't know if he's going to be able to duplicate 2022 but i will say this john hurts will have a better better 24 because i think he's going to go into that far more prepared uh now guys again that's also this this comes with a little bit of uh, an asterisk and the asterisk being if john hurts does not have to have some type of minor season surgery to clean out that left knee which again don't be surprised if it does come out because the guy did play hurt he did not play up to all of his physical capabilities, I believe, this past season. And I think uh, eventually uh, there were times that it caught up to him. I mean, we would see times, guys, and we all saw them, where he would just crawl up and just hit the ground and not do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's just that's not him. It's not part of his game. Uh, his legs are a major, major part of his game. I'm uh, talking to uh, numerous NFL people, people that know the game far better than me. They just, you know, over and over said, you know, Jalen is not a natural thrower. Jalen himself knows this. I mean, that's why he's going to turn around, put that added time in. That's why two years ago when he put that time in, Rob and I, we discussed this, whether it was a Tom House, right? Two years Tom ago. House in think about this. Yeah. yeah, and think about this. He comes into that season. Dude, his mechanics were right on, his technique. I mean, the, his, the ball was far, far better. Far, far better in 2022, the Super Bowl season, than it was this year. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, I think it all leans into – preparation the guy's very much about routine he's very much about preparation this can be fixed and and i feel knowing and i'll throw i'll throw my chips in the center of the table and say that jalen hurts will fix these things uh this is a guy that will get up this is a guy that's accountable now granted again because we deal with idiots in this world on twitter (laughs) this this thing was accused of a hit piece but you guys read it be fair with me both these, and I know, you know, Rob. I know, Bill. No, no disrespect, man, but I know Rob like a brother. Be be honest with me. Did you guys think it was a hit piece? I mean, it was as it was as a piece on their season demise. But I thought, I thought it was very fair to Jalen Hurts. I, I'll I'll speak first, Bill. I I didn't honestly, Joe. I didn't think it was a hit piece. Um, I, I thought you supported it statistically. I know you know you you uh, utilize some of the things Tim McManus put out there about him yeah. not using the middle of the field. Like, I think yeah. that's, th- there's no opinion there. That's, that's fact. He yeah. didn't throw well enough in the middle of the field. I thought you also pointed out, you know, frankly, that he didn't get great coaching this year. I'll tell you, Joe, I think it was very uh, down, down the middle. I, I didn't, I, I didn't, I'm, I'd be real with you. We, we, we would have talked and yeah. I would have told you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't yeah. think it was a hit piece, Bill. No. And when I read it, it was after I was seeing all the tweets referring to it as a hit piece. So I went into it thinking I was about to read a hit piece, and and it wasn't. And, in fact, I think you went really far to make sure it wasn't by making not excuses, quote-unquote, but saying, look, this is why he was a little bit more guarded. 
He did yeah. come into a lot of money. We know what it's like having people coming after us. And I thought it was really important that you made it clear this is not a Carson Wentz situation. Yeah. That his players and his teammates don't look at him the same way they look at the other guy. So, no, it yeah. was not a hit yeah. piece, Joe. I thought also, Joe, if I could interject real quick, mm-hmm. I, I thought you did a really good job um, with it on, on a lot of levels. But I also Thank thought you. when – you made it a point to say, look, the, the issues are nowhere near as stark as they were with Wentz. Yeah. This is yeah. not the same thing. You know, it's a natural to do. We always want to do comparisons. But yeah. you you did point that out, I thought, very clearly throughout. Yeah. Bill, both of you, thank you very much, both of you, for that. Bill, I thought you made a really, really good point because the thing in gathering this, and Rob knows where a lot of bones are buried from five years ago. I'll stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was, was like yeah. Like but I also know how, but, like, but, but there was balance there yeah. with that. I mean, you know, where I'm looking for some nuggets, I'm looking for something in reference to Wentz, and and that's Rob. That was eight, nine guys deep, right? And, and you're over here groping and you're looking, you know, with Hertz. I didn't have to look too far for someone to say, hey, listen, he's not the other guy, he will get up from this, you know. I think the biggest thing that I would stress, and hopefully people came away with the story thinking, he needs to communicate better. He needs to open, lower those boundaries, get that stuff together, and communicate better. Yeah, you use the word salvageable. Salvageable. And that I think that's a very fair word because if you, if you think about it, if he's willing to just hey, let, let, let's all go out to dinner, or I, I, little yeah. stupid stuff like that that seems stupid, it's not. Team bonding kind of stuff is important. Yeah. Okay, and, and the, other too, the other thing too that's important Go ahead is and again we discussed this last night and, and how trivial this is and i spoke to a couple of people even this morning about this is is rhythm he was never think about this guys he was never did you ever get a feel that he was in any kind of rhythm and, and i and i saw this stat in terms of tempo and how quickly the eagles got in and out of plays and again how minor this may be i think it was very very scant but i think it was like 0.3 or 0.4 seconds uh, uh longer then they got into their plays, in and out of their plays last year offensively. And again, 0. 0.3 or 4 seconds, that could be uh, that could be a mountain of time in the NFL. We know how valuable every split second is. They never really seem to get in, into any kind of rhythm. And the other thing, too, is how twisted this may sound is, uh, they're not, this team as an organization aren't really doing themselves any favors. Now, we are going, we, we will be going into what? This will be their third OC and third DC in three years, correct? Yes. Well, they had Not Shane Steichen for back-to-back. Yeah. Not good. So you had Shane Steichen, and then you had – oh, yeah, so you had Steichen two years ago. You had Brian Johnson, and then they're going to have a new OC. Yeah, so this is going to be three. Three OCs in three years for Jalen Hurts. If they think they're going to help in the development of their franchise quarterback, that's not the way to do it. Well, any way you slice this, when you have to fire both of your coordinators, there were massive mistakes made before this season. There's no other way to to put it. And I got the impression, a very strong impression, it wasn't wasn't Nick hiring the the, the OC and the DC. Well, in-house, in-house, they thought it was a natural move to elevate Brian Johnson. Um, We saw how that worked out. It wasn't. It wasn't great. I, I I thought it was okay. I, the guy that got the bum deal, and, and you guys may cringe about this, I thought it was Desai. Mm-hmm. I thought there were moments where Desai was really, really good. I mean, look at the defense he put out against Miami. Look at the defense he put out against Kansas City. Um, I thought he got a raw deal. I thought they could have at least given him at least another year 
and bolstered that side of the defense up. Because again, I go back to, and this is in-house, by the way, this is in-house. We had guys in position to make plays. They didn't make the freaking plays. You know, you look at the situation uh, that keeps on coming up over and over again. The Morrow hit against Debo Sweeney in the, uh, or, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Debo, Debo Samuel in the, uh, in the, in the San Francisco game mm-hmm. where our player was in position. And this is from someone inside. He was in position to make the play. We had our guy there to make the play. He bounced off him like a tennis ball. And you see the depleted state of the secondary, uh, Cunningham, as it was told to me by two NFL personnel, people, Cunningham and Morrow, they would be their NFL caliber players. Yeah. On your special teams for an elite team. Uh, Blankenship, I think, is is, is, is is a decent, serviceable safety. Uh, Kevin Byard was, let's be realistic with each other, guys. He was not who people expected him to be. I would go as far as saying he was a bust. From what people expected him to be as to who he turned out to be was was completely awful. Uh, Ricks had to learn during the season. Uh, we can go down. Avante Maddox forced himself because it's just the courage and, and the character of Avante to come back far sooner than he, he, he probably could have and should have. Uh, we started to see Avante uh, in the latter part when he was playing show parts of who Avante Maddox could be. Uh, they certainly have someone there who's a quality defensive back in Maddox. Uh, Bradbury, it's a shame for as much as I like James personally, he shot. Uh, I think Slay maybe had, maybe has another year, but they're going to have to, their philosophical, attitude is going to have to change yeah. yeah i mean rob you and i were kids when they drafted jerry robinson in the first round 1979. And, and, and and i talked to this young man on a regular basis you know my guy jeremiah trotter jr baby i hope they get him i yeah. hope he's there on the board he's not kind of hoping he's there on the board he's hoping he take he's taken before that but uh i would love to see that and i think it's it's a great fit there's obviously tradition here uh, you know, walking in the axe man, daddy axe man shoes. But I think, uh, I think having another 54, uh, and, and obviously a quality young man who I go way, way back with is it would be a big, big, nice step. I agree. Look, yeah. the city would lose its mind if they, they oh, got yeah. it in a yeah, good yeah. way, in a good yeah. way. The city oh, yeah. would lose yeah. its mind. That you would see be... a lot of 54 jerseys would be right back out and, in, in, yeah. You know, yeah, and, 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 and his Clemson orange and in midnight green again. Uh, correct. Yeah, that would be awesome. Joe, I agree with you 100% on Sean Desai. I've been saying yeah. it for a while that Howie Roseman's the reason this defense was in the state it was in. They severely lacked personnel. There's no doubt yeah. about it. But one more thing I want to talk to you about from your article about Jalen. You talked about how the difference between him and Wentz is when Jalen gets knocked down, he's going to get himself up. He's not going to blame anybody else. But then you cite to the Bobby Okereke play against the New York Giants, mm-hmm. where they come out for the brotherly shove. Okereke mm-hmm. jumps over the line mm-hmm. before the snap and hits Hurts in the head. And I remember at the time being furious that not a mm-hmm. single player on the Eagles offense got in Okereke's face. And you, were, you used that to say, well, it's kind of because these players know he's going to get himself up. But did that surprise you that no one came to his defense when Okereke did that? It did. It, it did. And the other thing that was a surprise was um, – Think about this, guys. Five years ago, Rob, and you were there at Ground Zero, Rob. Yep. When I did the Wentz piece, now this is interesting. I think the Eagles had them do this, but when I did the Wentz piece, there were guys that came out on social media to defend Wentz. No one's come out. I mean, like I said, you guys read it. It was fair, but 
the perception was, well, once me, because suddenly now I'm the hitman. I'm the, I'm the hitman. Suddenly I'm Joe, Tommy, Hurt, Santa, Quino. <laughs> My boxing roots. I'm the hitman. But the, the fact is, uh, no one social and social media came out to defend Hurts with my so-called my so-called hit piece we all know it wasn't a hit piece if you read it it yeah. wasn't it was a it, actually I'll tell you what it was a hit piece it was a hit piece on the 2023 eagles and i think there's a long line behind me and in front of me in terms of a hit piece on the 2023 eagles but in terms of anything in reference to uh hurts in that story i found it interesting no one on no eagle on social media went out to say hey this isn't true that's not accurate none of it's it true. Well, none of it because quite a bit of it came from inside. <laughs> so I, I also think uh, I found that a very interesting, uh, a very interesting dynamic to to that story. Yeah, look, and 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 we saw it, man. Let me ask yeah. you, Joe. Last one, and appreciate your time. Um, Hertz struggles on the field. Forget the you know his the lack mm-hmm. of accessibility and all that. Mm-hmm. He put it more on him for 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 whatever reason or more on the coaching staff that he took a bit of a step back this year. I'm going to put on the coaching staff. Okay. I'm going to put it on the coaching staff. He is an old school dude who loves to be coached hard. Um, I know for a fact, I know for a stone cold fact, he blamed himself for that Super Bowl loss. Mm. And that is a guy that's accountable. Um, it bothered him. I know that for a fact. And I know that again from not only just him, just nodding his head, dude. You know, and this is this is a month and a half, two months later. I said he said it still stung, it still stings. He goes, Yeah. Yeah. And that's all he did. He says, Yeah, it still stinks. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. I know that hurts. Uh excuse me, pun the pun. I knew that hurt hurts. Uh, this guy, like I said, I'm pushing all in. In terms of him learning from this year, him growing from this year, and the biggest thing, and again, Rob, you and I spoke about this uh, prior, is communication. He needs to build, and he's certainly capable of doing it, and I think, I feel very strongly that he will do it. He needs to be a better communicator, and he's very, very capable of doing that. Um Again, he's he's kind of a guy, like I said, he's got to lay, look, look, lay the land. That's just who he is. And things should not be plunged into that. But I also know him kind of being that, projecting that kind of personality where people don't get to know him. Right. He's he, Put it this way. He's the girl in the room that's got to be the pretty girl in the room that's got to be in the corner. You got to approach her. She's not going to approach you. Jalen is that type. Jalen, you got to approach Jalen. You got to pull things out of Jalen. Jalen's not going to come to you. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's it's just who he is. Again, the guy that waits in the, you know, he's got to, you know, he's got to show up to the party, hang out on the wall, sit in the corner, and then slowly and gradually wait himself into the middle of the room. And he's, it's, I mean, for him to be who he wants to be, he's going to have to learn how to do that. And I think that's a very, very valid, constructive criticism. Uh, uh, and I, I, I think he has the emotional uh, maturity to do that. The emotional intelligence. There we go. I like there, you had to get that. Yeah, you got to work. Use the Jeffrey Lurie <laughs> cards. Emotional on. intelligence to do that. That's I right. Joe, that. listen, great job, man. Great job. Again, Bleeding Green Nation. You can check it out. Uh, Joe's piece, very thorough. Yeah. And, and, and let me, down. can I apologize for something? 
Yes. Can I apologize to your all, uh, your your audience, because I look like Jabba the Hutt here, man. <laughs> You're a handsome fella, Joe. Like You're the Jabba the Hutt. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to get that right camera angle, man. That's all I can tell you. It's very difficult, you know. <laughs> guys like guys like Bill have, have a whole makeup team and and everything else, man. It's not easy, you know. Yeah, we're not we're used to this. Yes, Joe. Great right, job, guys. man. Appreciate you. Okay, guys. Thank minutes. you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. All right. Take care of that. It's Joe San Liquido. But yeah, it is. A, if you haven't had an opportunity, just check it out. It's it, it's definitely not what you would call a hit piece. I think he tries to explain, and, and we're all looking for answers as to what happened this season. And a lot of it's either going to start with the head coach or the quarterback. That's just the way the things go in the NFL. And I think he gives you a pretty thorough understanding of it, it takes you behind the curtain to understand what's going on there uh, yeah. You know, with Jalen. I'm happy I read it because, like I said, I did see all the people kind of calling it a hit piece. And when you read it, it's not. And it's really not an indictment of Jalen Hurts. He talks about, and he said it just now, he's confident he's going to bounce back. And everybody's fear is this is the next Carson Wentz. He makes clear in that article that people do not think this is another Carson Wentz situation, that his teammates don't look at him the same way, which I think is a really important thing for fans to know. You know what I think his teammates, how they view it, they're like, we're a little bummed at the way it went this year. We we know he's capable. We hope he'll be willing to sort of be one of the guys a little bit more, be more inclusive, yeah. uh, and be a little bit more. He, like nobody want, needs him to be rah rah screaming, you know, in the middle of the like. Just be a little bit more of what you have to be as a quarterback. But you know what's crazy, Rob? It's last year when they're winning. We talked about how, how great of a leader he is, and he leads by example, and we yeah. love that he's quiet and looking at him on the sidelines. Nothing phases him. And now they're losing, and it's how come he's not reacting on the sidelines? How come he's not more vocal? So I do think, and I reached out to people too, we talked about it yesterday, who yeah. said, yeah, he does need to be a more vocal leader. We do want that from him. But the common theme that I keep hearing, and Joe said the same thing, is he's a great kid. Like, he's yeah. a great guy. People do like him. But he just needs to grow into being a more vocal leader, and I think he'll get there. I'm a big fan of Jalen Hurts, and I see people saying it in the chat that I don't say negative things about him. I just think that Jalen Hurts is going to be a really good quarterback in this league for a very long time, and I don't think we should judge what happened this season and just throw everything else out the window. After you just saw him in the biggest game of his life, Super Bowl 57, put up a stat line that no one else has ever done in the history of the NFL. You can't forget about that. Well, there's different forms of maturity. There's maturity where you got to buckle down and start doing the work and stop being a knucklehead off the field. None of that stuff applies to Jalen Hurts. He, he's the most mature 25-year-old in that sense that you'll ever see in your life. Far more mature than I was I, I, and still am. Um, but there's other <laughs> yeah, forms no of maturity, too, where it's like, hey, you know, every once in a while, you got to you gotta make sure you're devoting time to this person or, or reaching out or doing this and that. And some of that just comes with growth. And I think I re I truly believe he's a reflective person and not only will he, he look back and, and understand that this component of it, but he's also got to work on things in his game. I mean, let's face it. His mechanics weren't good enough. Uh, he was forcing too many deep shots. He was turning the ball over too much. You got to get to the root of why all of those things were happening. Now I know part of that is getting the right offensive coordinator in here and Nick doing a better job too. Um, but I, I do believe like he's already been in the lab, whether that's breaking down film or just thinking things through when, when everything slows down a little bit, whatever. I'm sure 
and I'm, I'm, it doesn't mean it's a guarantee he's going to be an MVP, but I'm sure he's he's working on these things for sure. I agree with you. Yeah. All right. Let's come back. Let's continue with the Eagles discussion. Uh, we'll look at some of the bigger issues, uh, offensive side, defensive side, you know, what they can do here to address some of these things with the with the coaching staff that they choose. And, uh, you know, ahead of tomorrow's uh, meeting with the media, it's going to be very interesting. All right. Don't go anywhere. That's Bill Calarulo. I'm Rob Ellis. We are Sports Take. Jacob Sports YouTube Network. Let's talk about Jim Murray and Principal Financial Group because knowing who to trust with your finances is critical. And I'm right there in the front of the line because it took me a long time to find the right people. And I found them with Jim Murray and Principal Financial Group, whether it's retirement planning, 401k review, insurance review. You might have a small business and you're trying to get help with your employee benefits. That's another resource that Jim can help you with. He's also there for any questions that you have. If you're not sure about some, hey, what about this? Can I... Um, can I write this off? Or how about this? Maybe if we do this, I see this stock is doing well. Whatever the case may be, he's there for you. I've entrusted my IRA, my 401k rollovers with Jim, and I couldn't be any happier. Give him a call, 610-996-4751. 610-996-4751. You can also email him as well, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y dot Jim at principal.com. That's Murray dot Jim at principal.com. Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust. Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction, go with trust, go first. and go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their fantasy pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money 
in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. are back. Rob Ellis, Bill Calarulo, Sports Day, Jacob Sports YouTube Network. Bill, let everybody know where they can catch you each and every day, please. So right before this show, from 10 to 11, right here on Jacob Sports, we do the Philly Sports Power Hour. We also do my weekly Legal Hands to the Face show every Monday night at 6.30. And I'm posting daily content every day, usually multiple times a day on all my social media platforms about the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Threads, Facebook, YouTube. We're everywhere, Rob. All right, perfect, man, perfect. All right, so let's dive into a couple things here. And we've talked a lot about Hurts, uh, naturally, as we just wrap things up uh, with Joe Santaliquito. And by the way, twelve uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour at 12.30, Keith Pompey will join us to talk about Joel Embiid's 70 piece that he that he threw out there last night. But you look at the offense, and I just want to start with the offense, and I want to jump into the defense, Bill. And this is a this is a – you know, bigger picture view than just hurts. Certainly he he's a big piece of it, but uh, so they averaged 28 points per game in 2022, which was good for third in the NFL last year, this past 2023 season, 25.5, which is good for seventh. Now you may still say, Hey, that's top seven. Still not bad. Yeah. That's a three point drop off, which is big. Number one, number two, you know, with, if you dig a little bit deeper and look at the way they closed the season, it was just hideous. They went from ninth and passing to 16th. They went from fifth and rushing to eighth. There's a lot of other stats I could give you. The point differential, uh, the turnovers, the plus minus, all just really, really bad. Um, and, you know, and, and they realize it because you're seeing some pretty, you know, serious turnover here with the coordinators. I, I wonder first, I guess where I'll go with this first is, I wonder how different they want this offense to be. I mean, you have to play to your quarterback strengths and cater it that way. But I do wonder how different it's going to look next year uh, than it looked the past couple of years. And I'm usually a stats guy, Rob. I, I love stats. I always look at the stats. But in this situation, when you compare the offenses from last year to this year, stats can be deceiving because it didn't pass the eye test. And Joe Santoquito just said, too, it looked like Hertz never was really in any sort of rhythm all season it just seemed like the play calling was off it seemed like the play designs were off we didn't talk about in that article he also mentions that Tim McManus's report from last week with regard to what was it five percent of the passes were inside the hashes which That's is correct. just crazy to me yep so when you look at all of those things the offense took a massive step back I don't care what the stats show us it took a massive step back this season and you did mention turnovers. Man, they went from 19 turnovers in 2022, which was top five in the league, to 28 turnovers in 2023, which was 23rd in the league. Now, some of that's on Jalen Hurts. Needs to be better with the football. But you also saw a guy that didn't have faith 
in the plays that were being called. Joe said that as well. Him and AJ would sometimes look at each other and they would go rogue because they didn't have faith in these play calls. And how many damn bubble screens do we need to see? So it was, and for me, the main thing was not only the play calling necessarily, it was kind of the situational awareness of this football team where at times you would see them do things that made zero sense situationally. It started in the first Washington Commanders game. And I know Jalen Hurts changed the play at the line of scrimmage, but when all they needed to do was run out the clock, kick a game-winning field goal, there's some sort of read at the line. He goes deep to AJ. They scored the touchdown. Great, but left way too much time on the clock for the Commanders to tie it up. They do that again later on in the season against Seattle. You saw Jalen Hurts not go out of bounds against the New York Giants with under two minutes left in the first half. Ends up getting saved by a penalty on a on a delay a game. Right. Yes, that's on Jalen, but I also put a majority of that blame on the coaching staff because you should be in his ear the first time he does it. You should not be letting him change plays at the line of scrimmage in those situations. You should not have a quarterback that doesn't know to go out of bounds because every single player on the field should be getting yelled at before that play. No timeouts. Get out of bounds. Right. We don't have any timeouts. So, like, that has to come from the top. Yes, Jalen needs to be better. Not making excuses for him. But when you just look at the overall picture, the play calling, the situational awareness, the play designs, the offense took a step back. I, there's no question about it. And, again, I, I think you really – I hope – that Howie and Jeffrey, despite keeping Nick on, really realize what the root of it was and dig down deep uh, into and how they go about it. And this has also got to shape the way that you go into whomever you hire, uh, because whatever you thought Brian Johnson had, and I'm not laying it all on Brian Johnson, believe me, but clearly he didn't do a good job either. You better figure it out. You better do a better job of bringing that person in as to not, you know, wanting to to, to further you know, dig this hole for Jalen Hurts. You got to get this thing right because your offense next year, Bill, is going to have to be really good because your defense isn't. I, I I don't like unless you just destroy the draft and pull rabbits out of your hat with backup guys who aren't going to cost you a ton. You don't have the cap space to go nuts on the defensive side of the ball. You don't. There are so many holes to fill on that defense, but that's what we thought this year really going in was, hey, the offense is going to have to win these games for us. And it didn't happen. But Look, Nick Sirianni, he deserves blame, too, here. I'm not absolving him for what you saw. I'm not absolving Jalen Hurts for what you saw. But the easiest move to make is Brian Johnson. So, unfortunately, he's the guy who's got to take the brunt of this. I don't know if he's necessarily a scapegoat, as people would say. I see someone just said it in the chat as I said it. It's just he's the easiest thing to replace. I don't think you move on from your head coach. Not after three years of what we've seen from Nick Sirianni. You can't do it. You're not moving on from your $250 million quarterback, who I still think has a lot of potential, but bring in a new offensive mind. We saw the success that they could have with an offensive coordinator like Shane Steichen. So as long as they do a good job, and I get angry at Howie Roseman. I get angry at Jeffrey Lurie. But to be positive here for a second, this organization has had a lot of success. So, yes, I'm mad at Howie Roseman for ignoring key positions on defense. I'm mad at Jeffrey Lurie for sometimes – being too involved in the game plan and wanting a pass-happy offense. But at the end of the day, you take a step back. They know how to hire. They usually do a good job of finding good coaches. They usually do a good job of running an organization efficiently. So 
let's hope they do a good job here in finding a good offensive coordinator that could come in here and fix Jalen Hurts in this offense. Uh, yeah, I, 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 again, this is part of, if I had another question to ask him, would be philosophically, are you going to look at, I would be real specific with the Howie. I would say philosophically, are you going to look at, say, the linebacker position or the safety position and put some more resources into those spots, whereas in years past, you maybe haven't necessarily. And I'm sure Howie will have some spin and say, hey, N'Kobe Dean was a third-round pick. N'Kobe Dean got hurt. He missed whatever he missed. I don't know, 13 games. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some kind of spin, but the point is valid. You know, you had an opportunity. You had a guy like TJ Edwards. Even when you were in 2017, you had – I know Hicks got hurt. Um, You had uh, Nigel Bradham. Like, you had much better linebacker play generally in the years when you're successful than you've had in the years when you did not. Same thing goes on the offense. You look at last season when they went to the Super Bowl, had a top-five rushing offense. 2017, when they win the Super Bowl, had a top-five rushing offense. So why do you refuse to want to commit to the running game? It just doesn't make sense. And, Rob, as we're talking, you just mentioned TJ Edwards. I'm seeing an article. The Eagles are set to receive a third-round compensatory pick and three fifth-round compensatory picks because of losing Javon Hargrave, Isaac Sayamala, Andre Dillard, and TJ Edwards in free agency last year. Yeah. That's a pretty good haul, man. No, to get a third tough. round pick is a great compensatory pick. Third round pick and and three fifth rounders. Now what the you know what something like a three fifth rounders can do is just get you up a little bit if you really like somebody in the fourth round or something like that. You know, whereas they may not initially look like uh, you know it's great. No, they're looking they're sitting pretty with a lot of picks next year. They are. They're not going to have a lot of cap maneuverability, but they can, you know, if you get the you, the draft right, you that's how you, and again, that's how you fix yourself quickly. You get guys in on rookie contracts that are cheap, and that's how you can pay your quarterback what you're paying him and, and A.J. Brown, and that's how you figure out, you know, what you're going to give Devontae Smith and and potentially Hassan Reddick or somebody else. I mean, I thought it was fascinating. We had, we had um, Jeff McClain on yesterday, and we were talking to Jeff, and he seems About to Reddick. think – Reddit could be yeah. gone, like not after this upcoming season, like gone this off season. I'm saying to myself, and I don't doubt Jeff's, you know, insight, but who the hell's getting after the quarterback? If that's the case, I, I have no idea. Well, yeah, the pro- it's just his contract, Rob. I mean, you look at it. I'm looking at it again right now. He's in the final year of his deal. We know at the start of training camp, he wasn't happy with the deal he was on, and he, he is underpaid. I mean, you yeah. look at what he does, he's underpaid compared to other edge rushers in the league. But now going into this season, both sides don't want him playing under this deal. Reddick wants more money, but you know there's no way the Eagles want a $21 million cap hit. To put that into perspective, in year one of the deal, he had a $3.8 million cap hit. Mm-hmm. This past season, a $6.9 million cap hit. That balloons to $21 million if they don't restructure this deal or make some sort of trade or do something. So there's no way he's coming back under this deal. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. they can extend him. But, yeah, that's a huge question. And Josh Sweat also in the final year of his deal. Right. A lot of decisions on that defensive a line. A lot and of tough decisions. What do you have in Nolan Smith? We don't know. Well, that's the, the other p- problem you have is, Bill, is you have no idea what Nolan Smith is. You have no idea what N'Kobe Dean is. Still now, we have no idea what N'Kobe Dean is. And you can't – I don't think there's any scenario where you could go into this season like you went into last season, putting all of your linebacker hopes 
on the Kobe Dean. You have to get another proven linebacker in here. I'm okay with keeping a spot for Nicobe Dean saying, hey, we want him to grow into a linebacker, but you got to bring in somebody. You can't go into this season like you did last year, which outside of Nicobe Dean, it was just question mark after question mark with Morrow and Cunningham and who? Ben Van Sumeren, the guy who played fullback no. last year? Yeah, no. No. <laughs> you can't. And the other thing is, can you go into accounting on Avante Maddox? No. And he's another guy, Rob. We're talking about the contract. Hold on. There's no way he's coming back under the current deal because his cap hit balloons from $4 million up to $9.7 million, and it's the final year of his deal. So there's no way they're bringing back a guy who's been hurt almost every single season at a $9.7 million cap hit. Howie has his work cut out for him. There's some question marks on offense, but nowhere near what they need to do to this defense. It's it's almost a complete overhaul, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 there are a million questions. Uh, there really are. And you're going to have to look at, again, um, and and part of this is Redick, what you end up doing there, obviously. But, like, why that part, the defensive line part, I don't get. I, I didn't I don't like the linebackers and I don't like the safeties or the corners. I, I am not shocked that they were I didn't think they'd be this bad, but I thought they'd be bad. I, I can't understand what happened there, you know. And and what do you do with Fletcher Cox? Fletcher Cox played well. Yeah, he's one of your best best <clears throat> defensive players when you really look at it. So I don't know what they do with Fletcher Cox. I mean, look, as much as I like Fletcher and he still can play at a high level. The D-tackle position may be the one position where you do have some depth with Milton Williams. You saw Marlon Tupelodu make some plays. Jalen Carter in his second season. Jordan Davis as at least a run stopper. So you have some depth at D-tackle. But that's it. I mean, every other position, there is either no starter or no depth. And that's scary. That That is a problem, man. That, that And that's... Again, this is why missing and whiffing on drafts just kills you, you know, over the years. And you have an opportunity this year with all these picks they're going to have, all these compensatory picks and your picks to, to you know, to make some hay, make some damage and do some damage here. But, the, you know, the question is, do you have the right people in place? You know, I mean, does Howie have the right people in place? Because they've lost a lot of people over the years. Yeah, and. Whoever decided to draft the defensive players they drafted this year gives me confidence because I do think they had one of the best defensive drafts they've had in probably six or seven years, maybe ever, under Howie Roseman. I mean, you look at, and I went through it yesterday with you, going all the way back to 2019, the defensive players they've taken, and they've missed almost every time. You look at this past year's draft, it gives you some positivity. It gives you some hope. Jalen Carter's a stud. Nolan Smith, big question mark. But Sidney Brown, great draft pick in the third round. Eli Ricks, undrafted. Keely Ringo, fourth round pick. I mean, these kids look like they can play. And don't forget, a lot of people forget, Howie being Howie made a great move earlier in the season. The Indianapolis Colts cut Isaiah Rogers after he got put on the suspended list. I think it was for gambling. It was. Eagles picked him up. He's probably going to get reinstated in 2024, and that kid can play. So he's one player that's coming back to the team that could make a difference next season. Yeah, he's it is. He's an interesting name. Yeah, he he can play. The question is, how much does the layoff hurt him? You know, impossible to answer that right now. Yep. We we just don't know. Now, a lot of this too 
the direction you go. Look, I don't think there's any question. They have to prioritize corner and safety and all that in the draft. I don't care who your defensive coordinator is. But the other part of this is, you know, who do they bring in? You know, are they going to bring in a guy like Rivera who really is a big believer in linebackers? He was a linebacker back in the day when he played. Or Wink Martindale who blitzes a little bit more. You know, that that you're going to – you're going to draft to your scheme a little bit more as opposed to what they've been doing now, which is, Hey, defensive line, get home. Uh, we're going to, we're going to guard against giving up the big play, you know, a more sort of conservative approach, but you know, obviously one that worked for them pretty well last year when you were able to get pressure on the quarterback problem is this year, the pressure on the quarterback, while it was okay, dried up and then everything gets that much more exposed. And and think about it. You had down years, statistically a down year from Reddick, a down year from Sweat. You lost Hargrave. Um, Brandon Graham had 11 sacks last year. I mean, a lot of guys tapered off. Yeah, and BG, when he's out there, he gives it his all. The problem is, is he didn't play a lot of snaps last season. He played even less this season. He's just getting up there in years. Maybe you bring back BG. I'm sure he'd come back for the veteran minimum, but he's not going to be able to give you as many reps as you are hopeful to get. Now, Seth Joyner, every week we watch the games together, he keeps saying to me, he thinks Brandon Graham can continue to play in this league if they just make him a defensive tackle. He keeps saying he thinks they should move BG inside and just have him play D-tackle on passing downs and be able to rush the quarterback kind of in that NASCAR package that you've seen them use him in the past. But Mm -hmm. look, if BG comes back at a limited role, I'm okay with it. But yeah, there's a lot of questions, man. A lot of questions and I don't want Wink Martindale. I, I know a lot of fans, oh, he blitzes like crazy. Oh, I, we want blitzing. We want blitzing. You don't win in the NFL by blitzing that much anymore. I mean, look at the New York Giants last season. They blitzed the second most of any defense in the entire NFL, second to the Minnesota Vikings, who also didn't make the playoffs, by the way, yeah. but second to the Minnesota Vikings. They finished 29th in sacks, Rob. So they blitzed almost 50% of the time They finished 29th in sacks. Blitzing in today's NFL is not necessarily the answer. I want more aggressiveness from our coordinator, but that doesn't necessarily mean blitzing 50% of the time. I agree with you. Um, I I agree with you 100%. I I think that it's it's something you have to do if you don't have the personnel up front. And there's, there's two parts to this. One, that's what you do if you can't get pressure with your front four. And two, you also have to trust that you have the people behind the defensive line to be able to handle their business and coverage if you're sending people. I mean, you're you're sending a safety, you're sending a linebacker on a blitz. You're going to either have guys single covered or, you know, I, I just – you better be right. And I don't know right now what they do. I don't know what the answer is defensively for this team right now. I really don't. I mean, this is – I mean, you got to get the offensive coordinator right and you got to figure out Jalen and all those kind of things are super critical. But you're – the defense is is like a woof. That's a long term thing. There's a lot that has to go into that. I think it's a quicker fix with the offense. Yeah, I mean, just look at the Baltimore Ravens. Led the league in sacks. They only blitz twenty one percent of the time. You you don't have to blitz to get there, like you said. If you have the the right front four, and you could also get creative in where the pressure is coming from. You could still blitz four, but get creative in how you're bringing four. So we'll see what they do, but I'm still I'm convincing myself that I want Ron Rivera. I don't I don't know why. I just keep convincing myself I want that veteran presence. I want a guy who's done this for a really long time in the NFL. He was a linebackers coach under Andy Reid. 
So we need help at the linebacker position. It's just starting to make a lot of sense to me. And like I said, I don't want the guy, the coordinator, that's going to be here for a year and then be out the door. I'd rather get somebody who's not getting another head coaching job who can come in and be our coordinator for the next three, four, five seasons. Well, I think the one one of the the, the other um... – I can't think of the best way to put this. So if you bring in the veteran guy, let's say it's Rivera. I also like the fact that Nick has somebody that he can bounce some stuff off of that that's been there and lived that as a head coach. I think that also could help him where he didn't have that, you know, with Brian Johnson last year or Sean Desai or whatever. And I know he didn't have the previous with, with Shane Steichen and, and Gannon, but I think he's at a juncture, especially after the way last year went, that that would help him if he had those guys. Um, that's for sure. All right, we're going to step aside. We're going to come back. And Keith Pompey is going to join us uh, from the Philadelphia Inquirer to talk about what was a night of all nights last night for Joel Embiid. How about 70 points last night scored? First time in Sixers history that anybody's ever done that. So we'll talk to him not only about Embiid's night, but where the Sixers are. You know, 26 and 6 when Embiid plays. This is a team that, that you know, right now is third in the Eastern Conference. And uh, February 8th is the trade deadline. And there's a little move in the NBA today that maybe the Sixers could get in on. We'll talk about that as well. A lot of ground to cover. Don't go anywhere. That's Bill Calarulo. I'm Rob Ellis. We're Sports Take, Jacob Sports YouTube Network. Going to tell you right now about ProAction Restoration. If you have a home, a business, or a property that you own, and you've gone through the pain and inconvenience of water, fire, smoke, or mold damage, you know how trying that can be. And if you haven't yet, take down this number and just be prepared if you go through it. It's ProAction Restoration, and they're on call 24 hours, seven days a week to assist. They are licensed, bonded, and fully insured, and they've been serving the tri-state area for more than two decades. ProAction will work in conjunction with your insurance company. I can tell you that firsthand for some of the damage that went on in my house, and it was a smooth process, man, and they were great with everything, and I am thrilled with the product. Again, water, fire, smoke damage, mold remediation, you name it. ProAction Restoration can handle it. Give them a call, 610 610- 623-3760-610-623-3760 or online at ProActionRestoration.com. That's ProActionRestoration.com. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The call. They're carving up a good play calling along the way. First and goal at the six. 
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game. And the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. All right, welcome back in, friends. Appreciate you hanging with us. We are Sports Take, Jacob Sports YouTube Network. I'm Rob Ellis. That's Bill Calarulo. He is in for Tone today. Uh, man, oh, man. And I thought, Bill, we'd be leading today with the Eagles and the discussion about what they do at their coordinator spot. But then Joel Embiid said, not so fast, my friends. I, I, I have some different plans for you. And he dropped 70 points last night. And joining us right now, the man who covers the Sixers on a daily basis for the Philadelphia Inquirer. You could follow him at Pompey on Sixer on Sixers at Twitter and X. That is Keith Pompey. Keith, what's up, my man? How you doing? What's what's happening? What's up, fellas? All good, Keith. All right, man. Look, I know you're a pro. You're a pro's pro, and you've been around a long time. But is there a is there a point in the game last night where you're like Looking around like, dude, this is pretty crazy. Like <laughs> you're a kid again for a minute while Joel Joel Embiid was doing what he was doing. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was kind of like um, you know, in that third quarter, uh, when he exploded for like the 25 points. And it was like, I believe he scored like, well, he was in he accounted for like 74 percent of their points in the quarter. To me, it was like one of those, like, wow, this is special. But when he went out the game, I didn't expect them to come back. Like, I, I just didn't. I, I thought that, you know, they were up double digits. Um, they were going to, like, maintain the lead and, and what have you. And then all of a sudden, I, I hear the crowd, like, chant. And you see Joel, like, walking back to sit down. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, dang, they're about to check this guy back in. He's going <laughs> for, like, you know, 70. <laughs> and, and, and that's what he got. So, yeah, it was that 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 moment where I was like, okay, this is getting real now. This is getting real. So it was, it was, it was a great performance by him. Absolute historic night. And what made it even cooler 
Brett Brown there to see it. So how cool was that, that Brett Brown was there to watch Joel put up 70 last night? You know, it's funny. I, I keep going back and forth with that because, like, I, I know, like, Brett is happy for Joel, but at the same time, it's like, dude, this guy gave us a 70-piece. Like, and then he wants to come over and give me Yeah, a, if I'm a Spurs fan, I'm like, yo, Brett, easy. You know? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yo, he wants to give me a hug. Yeah. And they're all like, yeah, coach, we love you. But I had to, like, rip your your, your rookie's heart out tonight. You know what I mean? So, I mean, you know what? I, I think, though, for Brett, you know, when, when I think of that whole situation, you know, I, I think of how it ended for Brett Brown and, and how it was like his inability to get out of the second round was like, you know what, Brett, we got to, you know, you got to go. And, and now you look at it, you know, three years later and the Sixers are still trying to get out of the second round and all the things that he was saying about Covington, you know, the things that he said about Joel, you know, the things that he also said about TJ McConnell, who's not on the team anymore. It's kind of like they're all coming true. And you look at Brett and Brett doesn't look as bad as he did back then because Doc Rivers couldn't even get the team further than what Brett Brown has. So, you know, you, you, it, it, in a way that it was crazy, you know, Joel was a guy that Brett Brown believed in on and off the court. So for him to do that, it kind of like, you know, makes it feel good for Brett, but man, he, he kind of destroyed his uh, new project, so to speak. Yeah. And it's, you know, the crazy thing is, well, I Yama played well, but it's, it's totally just lost in the, in the, in the Embiid madness, uh, Keith. I mean, he was, more than held his own and showed, you know, showed you what he's, you know, going to be. It was Joel just basically saying, not yet, young man, not yet. Exactly. That's what I, that's how I looked at it. It was kind of like Joel, you know, and the thing about Joel, Joel's funny because Joel will make it seem as if that he doesn't get motivated for these types of games. And he's a competitive guy. You know, daggone well that he gets competitive. He gets motivated for it. But um, you're right. This guy had 33 points in, in 28 minutes, which is amazing. But Joel looked at it like, you know, this guy is the future. I am the present right now. This game is going to be on NBA TV. I'm going to do everything in my power to destroy him. And he did. Or, you know, scored 70 points against him and everyone else. And and it was like Joel was like that, that veteran who knew all the tricks of the trade. He knew Wimby was going to jump for this. He was going to lean in and get the foul which enabled him to get to the foul line 23 times. So, yeah, Joel was like, you might get it in five years, but right now I am the guy, and I'm going to do this to you on national TV. Yeah, it was pretty cool to watch. It was pretty cool to watch. So a lot of people are talking about how great of a job Nick Nurse is doing, and they couldn't get out of the second round with Doc Rivers. They move on from him this year. What major differences are you seeing between the two, from the Doc Rivers Sixers to now the Nick Nurse? Well, there's, there's one thing. When it comes down to Joel Embiid, um, I, I do believe that he's doing some of the things that that Doc Rivers did with him. And we, if we want to talk with him, like, you know, facing the, the, you know, around the 14 to 15 range, facing everything. But I think the biggest thing that he does is it's like he allows Joel to tell him what he wants to do. And he tries it out and it makes it more comfortable with him, Right. Um, you know, he also, if you notice, Joel is shooting less three pointers. He's letting them know, like, look, man, you could go down there and you can impose your will. I think with the team, if you look at the defense, I mean, these guys, he first of all, he has a better roster now 
to implement the things that he wants to do with the trade that they made and everything like that. But you look at the deflections, you, you see how he's utilizing, you know, Covington's length, um, the Anthony Melton's length, you know, all these guys, Batum and everything. But I also think that even though Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey are the leading two man game in the league, you know, as far as scoring, he has everyone else feeling like they're a part of the team. You know, now again, they don't always get the score, but he's given it these opportunities like, hey, if you cut, if you're aggressive, it, there's going to the ball's going to find you. And it took Tobias a, fi- a, a while to realize that. Kelly Ube, Ube has, uh, Ubre has realized that. You know, even Patrick Beverly, a guy who rarely gets to shoot the ball and other stops, is, is getting that. So I feel like he has everyone feeling like they're a part of the team's success. Whereas in, in years past, you know, we heard Doc Rivers saying to James Harden, it's not a democracy. It's either you give the ball to Joel, and if Joel doesn't have it, you shoot the ball. So I feel like this is why they're successful is because it's easier to get buy-in when you're getting guys involved with the ball because it's simple. If you're aggressive, you're going to ball is going to find you. And I think a lot of players want that opportunity. Keith, I want to I want to just stay on Embiid and and, and just the season that he's having, uh, the efficiency. We were talking about it earlier. Uh, one thousand one hundred fifty six points in one thousand nine hundred or one thousand ninety six minutes. He's averaging the most points per minute in NBA history. Just take an example like last night. He still gets you eighteen boards. He still gets you five assists. He turns it over once in thirty six minutes. And he shoots, what, 59%, whatever it was, 24-41? I mean, mm-hmm. this, this was not Carl Anthony Towns just jacking stuff from everywhere where his teammates and his coach just, frankly, dumps all over it after the game. Like, this was in the flow of the game. He was still making, you know, sweet backdoor baseline, you know, passes, et cetera. Like, he's really – and it looks a lot more like he's enforcing his will deep, too, and he's not just, you know, standing out on the perimeter because he doesn't feel like banging with the big guys. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, like, you know, someone talked to him and said, look, Joel, you're the biggest, baddest thing in the league. You know, I mean, I know Wimby is taller than him and so is Persingas. But when you when you factor in the weight that he has um, over those guys, you know, he is like you got to take advantage of that. But also you are correct. I mean, like he's shooting from a high percentage. Um you know, the one thing that really stood out to me was the rebounding. He had nine offensive boards. He was just attacking it. And 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 I, I think, like, the big thing is that he's more comfortable. The game is slowing down to him. He also has a lot, of, a lot more faith in his teammates than he had in years past, you know. So when you look at Joel, this season that he's having, you're right, it is historic, and it's crazy. Now – I don't like sometimes we we always say, well, what if he played more minutes? Well, we don't know. I mean, maybe he could get tired. He can do this. But when you factor in that Joel Embiid is averaging 30.1, uh, 36, excuse me, point one points, and he normally sits the bench in the fourth quarter. Right. That's amazing right there in itself. Like the last person who averaged more points than minutes was Wilt Chamberlain. So you know, and we're we're going back a ways. So, you know, this is a phenomenal season. It, it, it's hard to describe because you have to see it. 
but the things that he's doing is kind of like, you know, he'll have 36 points and you're like, Hey, he could have had 43. You know what I mean? That's just how dominant he's been this season. Historic season, no doubt. And I'm trying to tell myself to enjoy the greatness that I'm watching, but I keep letting my mind drift to, well, if they don't do anything in the playoffs, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As this team is constructed right now, do you think they have the pieces to get out of the second round, or do you still expect Daryl Morey to do something at the trade deadline? You know what? I, I do think they have the pieces to get out of the second round, but it, it, as every day goes by, you're hearing another team just made a trade. Yeah. For, well, for well, a yeah, I've been talking about the one today, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, like, and it's always for a player that you think, oh, well, maybe he could have helped the Sixers, right? But, but you know, when you look at it, I mean, if, if you know, if, if we're looking at it with an objective eye, um, you know, you, you say to yourself, the 76ers have not have only played, I want to say, a handful of games with their full roster, right? I mean, since they did it, a handful of games with their full roster. They played the Milwaukee Bucks the first game of the season, and and Milwaukee escaped with a victory, right? The Sixers are a half a game behind the Bucks. I look at the Sixers right now, if the Sixers are healthy, I look at the Bucks if the Bucks are healthy. I believe the Sixers could beat the Bucks in the series. I do. Right. I, I, I do. Um, so when you say all that, I look at the Sixers and say that when Nick Nurse is coaching, if Joel and B continues to play at a high level, if Maxi can continue to ascend and Tobias can be continue to be aggressive. I do think that they can beat the Bucks. I do I think they could get out of the second round if they're the third seed or the second seed. The question is, can they beat the Boston Celtics? I don't think. On paper right now, I don't think anyone out there can beat the Celtics. I just think that the Celtics with Kristaps Persingas, with Drew Holiday, I think those additions are great for them. And I think Drew is a winner, you know, who won a championship, who's going to be motivated in the playoffs. I don't see the Sixers beating them. But I do believe the Sixers can get out of the second round and beat the Milwaukee Bucks. I do. All right, so here, here's the million-dollar question for me, Keith, is what level of trade are we looking at? We, with the February 8th is a trade deadline. Is Do you see it as something that will kind of wow you or, okay, it was it was something they needed. Uh, you know, like, for example, um, there's a trade that went down today between the Heat and the Hornets, and the Hornets got Terry Rozier uh, and, and – uh, and Kyle Lowry and I think a one went back to Charlotte. Anyway, yeah. I think we all assume Lowry's going to be waived. What could it be? It's just something like that where you pick him up or something a little bit heavier. You know what? I, I think you could pick him up, but also if he's going to be waived, then it's one of those. I mean, here's the thing with Kyle. Like, I mean, the thing with Kyle, the only my only concern with him, and I love Kyle. I, I, I love Kyle Lowry, but the only thing is, I wonder how are you going to utilize. Him? Right. I mean, because as good as as good as like Kyle um, had a career and, and, and things like that. Right now, you look at what Pat Bev is bringing to you as the backup point guard. And yes, you know, Patrick Beverly has to prove that he can do make shots in the playoffs. He has to prove he can do a lot of other things. But he's bringing a lot to this team that you didn't expect. Do you expect to take minutes away from him for Kyle? Right. I mean, that's the question, because 
you know, you look at Kyle, are you going to say, okay, Kyle, you're going to be our starting point guard. And then we're going to bring Max and we're going to slide Maxie off the ball. Now, if you, if you think that you can do that, I can understand that. But at the same time, minutes or people are going to lose minutes, right? You know, DeAnthony Melton's going to have to come off the bench. So, you know, my thing is, how do you think it can help you? Now, you know, Kyle Lowry, if you get him, you know, hey, w- what do you do? You you may have to waive a player or or you can trade somebody to Charlotte that they think that they may like, like, for instance, uh, a K.J. Martin or someone, they can right. try him out. But But my question is, if you bring a player in, how is that going to impact the rotation that you already have when you have a guy like, you know, Patrick Beverly, who was playing at a high level for you. You know what I mean? That's just my only concerns. Now that would be kind of a minor move bringing in somebody like that, but there's a name that's been floated all season long, which is Zach Levine from the Chicago Bulls. Some reports now he may stay put. Would you make a big move like that if you were Daryl Morey and disrupt this roster? Nah, not at all. Not at all. Because, you know, I, I look at Zach, I don't think he's a great fit for the Sixers. You know, and, and, and there's nothing against him. Um, I, I just think that, you know, first of all, when, when he was injured, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Bulls were playing better. They went on a run, right? You know, so that messed it up a little bit. The second part is I just feel like, you know, you are who you are. You know, Zach Zach will Zach is used to being a scorer, a, a first or second option. He wants the ball, this and that. And if he comes here and he's not that, is he really going to be happy? Like, honestly, like, you know, you're so used to being a man, then all of a sudden you're a third or fourth option. He's not a two-way player. So if he's not scoring the ball, is he really going to help you on the defensive end, right? He's athletic, but is he really going to help you on the defensive end? And then secondly, if he is scoring the ball, how is that going to disrupt the chemistry with Maxie? You know, how is that going to – is that going to, like, impede Maxie's growth? You know, Maxie is playing at an all-star level this season, so you're going to bring in another all-star and say, okay, we're going to give you the keys, and then Tyrese, you got to go back to being with the role you had with James and them. So when I look at a guy like that, I don't know, per se, if he's going to help them as much as he would have before Maxie became this player that he was, right? Mm-hmm. So – I don't know if I'm trying. And then not only that, it's, it's like I'm pretty sure that Chicago is going to want something for him. Now, some people might say they may just want to get rid of um, get rid of contracts. But some of these guys they're going to get rid of are guys who are really helping the Sixers in the rotation right now. So I don't know. And then the last thing, Zach Levine has a lot of money coming. So that means you're going to eat up a lot of that cap space that you feel like you're going to use to go after free agents. So me personally, I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it at all. It just feels like to me, Keith, he, Maury really – and I get the whole going for it now and Bede's playing as well as you could ever imagine. But I think he wants that flexibility. I don't think he wants to tie himself in. Like I don't think he had any problem bringing in a guy who was in the last year of his deal or something like that. But I think in the offseason – he wants to have the picks. He wants to have the money to be able to go and, and really, you know, sculpt this thing the way he wants to put it together. Exactly. And not only that, let's think about this. When's the last time that they made a trade in, in by February for all-star caliber player that a team won a championship. 
with. Like normally it takes a while for those players to gel. It's, it's typically easier for you to, to acquire like a rotation player, you know what I mean, where they just do energy, make energy plays and stuff like that and, and do it. And if we're going to be honest, yeah, Daryl is going to say like, yeah, the time is now and the time is now. But let's be honest with it. Daryl already got his extension. Like beforehand, the thought was like if they didn't make it out of the second round, Daryl Morey was going to be gone. That's a good point. I mean, he already has his extension. That's a good point. Joel is happy right now. So it's like one of those things where you say to yourself, like to everyone, look, we can get out of the second round, but can we beat Boston? If we bring these players in here, are they going to guarantee us that we can beat the Celtics? If not, we might as well see what we can do next year. Go with what we have now, and if it doesn't work out, rebuild in the offseason. Well, I think the one thing, too, we are keep taking into account is, and I know players make plays, but you know, having Nick Nurse on the bench in a playoff setting, I, I feel good about, you know, in, in whether it's Milwaukee or Boston or, you know, whomever, Keith, I, I, I like my chances there that he's going to be able to out scheme the other, the other guy. Yeah, I do too. I mean, and like, think about it, look at Tobias Harris right now. He's playing the best basketball he's played in, in a while. Right. Uh, Tyrese Maxey is ascended into an all-star caliber player. Right. Joel Embiid is, is averaging more points than minutes played. Nick Batum went from a guy who wasn't even playing really with the Clippers to like, Hey, he's the glue guy for the Sixers. Kelly Oubre went from a guy that no one in the offseason wanted. No one but the Sixers. And now he looks like a guy who deserves to get paid. And what what's the common denominator? Nick Nurse. And like you said, a great coach. Think of like Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ovenobi. I hope I, I always destroy his name. But who were those guys five years ago? And all of them are about to get paid. And you look at the quality of players that Nick Nurse have with the Sixers, you know, you have to say that they're better players, right? Like initially, right? So I like the way that he develops talent. I like the way he thinks outside the box, you know. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people from the outside will say, well, yeah, he won a championship with Kawhi. It's true. But at the same time, he developed a lot of players. And I feel like this roster that he has – even included with the Kawhi and Danny Green and Kyle Lowry, you can say that with the way Joel Embiid is playing, that this roster may be better because of the depth that this team has. And I get what you're saying about not making a move at the deadline that's going to mess up this roster, mess up the flexibility that you'll have in the offseason if you can't beat Boston. But you look at Joel. And as well as he's playing, he's going to be 30 in March. How many more years do we have of a dominant, healthy Joel Embiid? When does that window close of us having a shot to win a championship with Joel? You know, that's a great question because before this season, I would say like, yo, he's like on the tail end of his career. Um, But the way he's playing at a high level is like you don't know. But at the same time, you know, with his injury history and everything like that, you know, you you would have to say that, you know, I I don't think he – I mean, he could, but I don't know if he's going to get another Supermax deal. You know what I mean? Like, I hate to say that, but it just seemed like the time now. So, yeah, you are correct. You have to go out there and, 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 and do it. You think you have to go out there and do it, but at the same time, at what cost? Because, you know, Pascal Siakam, OG, 
these were guys that you felt like that could help them get over that edge. Now that they're going, I don't, I don't really know if there's a player out there that you feel like can help the team, you know, now who knows what, what about, um, uh, what DeJounte Murray, you know, he's a guy who could possibly help him, but it just seems like, uh, the Hawks, really want to send him to the Lakers. They want him out of the Eastern Conference, right? So it's, it's one of those things where who is the player out there that you feel like is going to elevate you, get you past the hump, to get you, you know, to get you the championship? I don't know if that player is out there. I, I just don't. Keith, it's, it's going to be really interesting in the next two games. Uh, Thursday at Indianapolis or at Indiana taking on the Pacers and then at Denver, uh, on Saturday. So you got, you got some pretty two interesting matchups, you know, a new look sort of Pacers team uh, with Siakam. And then uh, you get, you get the Joker again and little revenge on his mind for the, for the way things went here. It, it, nice little sort of playoff test kind of games are in January here. Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that trip because this trip, because when you look at it, you know, initially we were, we were hoping that we were going to find out what the Sixers were like on the road during that Christmas trip. Like we were hoping that we would see Joe, Joel and B go up against Miami and then go to Orlando. And, and, you know, we know he destroyed Orlando the last time, but that was supposed to give us a sneak peek. Now this is a, um, a Indiana team that they split with, you know, is a Denver team that you're playing in high altitude. It's going to be a hyped up game where it's going to be Joel's first time in Denver since 2019. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're going to learn a lot about the Sixers you know, on these road trips. Because let's face it, Indiana's playing well, and when they're playing well, that's a tough place to go out and get a victory. And the same thing with Denver. It's going to be a hostile environment just because the way that people don't like the Joker here, they put it like they despise MB (laughs) 10 times more in Denver, right? So that's going to be two games where we're going to see. And then another thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing is is when they go to Golden State. I know Golden State is struggling, but it's going to be the second game of the back-to-back. We'll see how the Sixers, are they going to be uh, tired? We'll see how they're going to respond because, you know, Golden State is going to get up for playing the Sixers. So, you know what? I'm I'm really looking forward to this road trip. I really yeah, It's going to be fun. Keith, uh, always good. Bill, you want to get one more in? Go ahead. One more as you're running out the door. Yeah. So I looked at the list <laughs> of the nine players who put up 70 points, and there were four names that jumped out that are not on that list. Which one of these surprises you the most? Jordan, LeBron, AI, or Shaq never having a 70-point game? You know what? The one who surprised me the most is MJ. I mean, you know, I know, and and the reason being is because when you think of MJ, you know, like he was, what, the scoring champion like seven years in a row. You know, we, we in the playoff games, we know he had 60-something points against the Boston Celtics. You know, you look at him and you would think that he would be that guy that would be there, right? And and nothing against LeBron. You know, LeBron is, is, is more of a distributor. You know, he gets his teammates involved. Shaq is really, like, predicated on getting the ball. He played with Kobe, and we all know pass the ball, Kobe, pass the ball, right, from Shaq. And then AI, you know, a smaller guard. He scores a lot, but he was a smaller guard that in his harder for him to get stuff. When you think of Jordan, one of the all-time greats, you know, outs, you can make the argument is either him or Wilt. So 
you would expect him to be on that list. And the fact that he's not is is really surprising to me. Think about it. Devin Booker's on there, yeah. but Michael Jordan isn't. Jordan had 69. He got close. Yep, 69. Yep. The, the other thing I'd love to see in some of those games, because I don't know, like, was Jordan taken out? Could he have stayed in there till the end and gotten 80? You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I, th- yeah. I honestly think, Keith, and I was going to follow up with this one on, with you. Do you think Doc would have put Joel back in the game in the fourth, like like Nurse did last night, to get that to to really go crazy? You know, it's, it's uh probably not, probably not. I mean, because I think about it, I think if Doc was the coach, the streak would have the thirty game streak would have ended a long time ago. Remember, there was a couple games where Embiid messed up his knee, yep. and you saw him come back and was standing there until he got thirty points. I think Doc would have been like, nah, dude, nah, it's over. Like, we need you for the uh we need you for the playoffs. We need you for the next game. But the thing is, if Nick Nurse is lucky that he put MB back in there because they they came back. The team, the team yeah, yeah, it was kind of competitive. Yeah, yeah, it was it was competitive. It was really competitive. Yeah. Keith, great stuff. Thanks, man. Always appreciate it. Have a safe trip. Uh, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks for having me on, fellas. All right, guys. Take care. All right. That is Keith Pompey. Bill, let's get a quick one in and let's come back. Let's talk some NFL. Uh, we have a new head coach in place that came down yesterday. We'll talk about that. Some other guys who were interviewing in certain spots, second time, third time, big names, all those kind of things. So don't go anywhere. Bill Colorillo, Rob Ellis, we are Sports Take, Jacob Sports, YouTube, Network, let's talk about Flynn Tree Services. Yes, they are an experienced, licensed, and insured Pennsylvania tree services company that will trim or remove any unwanted trees off of your property. They offer cost-effective solutions to any tree problem that you may face, and they are experts trimming all types of trees, and they serve southeastern Pennsylvania, South Jersey, and northern Delaware. They specialize in tree removal, stump grinding, as well as tree pruning. You go to their Facebook or Instagram page for more information or a sampling of their work. Give Flynn Tree Services a call at 610-850-2848, 610-850-2848, or online at FlynnTreeServices.com. That's FlynnTreeServices.com. Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! 
Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game. And the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Ellis, Bill Calarulo hanging out with you. We are Sports Take on this Tuesday. All right, Bill, let's hit some NFL stuff. We just wrapped up with Keith Pompey. Uh, the Titans yesterday hired or going to reportedly are, are going to hire Brian Callahan as their head coach. He was formerly the offensive coordinator in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and that crew, which put up a lot of points. <clears throat> uh, you know, he's he's paid his dues. He was the he's the son of Bill Callahan former NFL head coach uh, with the Raiders. In fact, took the Raiders to a Super Bowl and got smoked by the uh, by the Buccaneers. But nonetheless, um, he takes over the Titans. Any surprise there in, in your estimation? Not necessarily surprised. You just don't know. You never know how a <clears throat> offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator is going to be as a head coach. It's a crapshoot. That's another reason why I'm okay with Sirianni coming back. Everybody's throwing out all these young offensive names or young defensive coordinator names. You don't know. It is a different skill set to go from being a coordinator to becoming a head coach, but not a bad move. I mean, you look at what he did, not only with Joe Burrow, but now I'm drawing a blank. Who's the backup that came in when Burrow went down? Oh, he uh, Browning, Jake Browning did a really good yeah, job. Yeah, he did a really nice job with Browning. So, you know, hopefully, but, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It's always a crapshoot. I mean, I, I every year you think, oh, what a great hire. What a great hire. The New York Giants, case in point, everyone thought McAdoo was a good hire. People thought Joe Judge was a good hire. Brian Dable, who I still think was a good hire, some question marks there now, too. So you just never know. Yeah, and let's face it. I mean, you're you're it's you're at the mercy of your personnel, you know. And the big question there in Tennessee, well, there's a lot of them, but one of them is, is Will Levis the real deal? Yeah. Um, and can he help further develop him? And I, I think it's a smart higher in that sense that if you believe Levis is the guy you want to bring somebody in to help grow that guy um and then everything else kind of takes care of itself from there you know with with what you end up doing any any rumblings of, of Rabel getting interest from any teams Rabel's been quiet yeah I never haven't seen a lot you know I'll tell you what man it's it's more quiet than I thought on the Belichick front yeah. like it's basically have we heard anything other than Atlanta 
No. And I thought Isn't a team that, that would have been interested was the Chargers. That's I thought the Chargers would have been interested in Belichick, but it looks like they're going after Harbaugh, which makes some sense. But I'm seeing an article now. I just Googled Vrabel's name saying that there's some some steam for him to go to Seattle, but I haven't seen any formal interview or anything like that yet. So No, I, I, I'm surprised, frankly. I, I At least, like, to me, if I'm a team, I'm having Belichick in, I'm having Vrabel, I'm picking their brain. Even if I don't end up taking the least, yeah. I'm, I'm taking philosophies there, you know, from them. Yeah, at the very least, why not get some information? But Vrabel was the one coach that really surprised me that the Titans moved on from him because I do think he's had a lot of success and he's not had a great quarterback and now you draft Will Levis is he the guy I guess they probably like you said wanted to bring in a coach that could help develop a young quarterback but what Vrabel was able to do with Tannehill and Mariota a little bit and Josh Dobbs in a playoff game I was surprised they moved on from Vrabel. I think he's had a lot of success, in, even in spite of the fact that he didn't have a great franchise quarterback, which you need in the NFL. I mean, no doubt. There's, coaches can't survive bad quarterback play. You saw it with Bill Belichick, as great as he was. What Wasn't there a stretch in there, and I'm forgetting the exact stat, but there was a stretch in there where Belichick's defense held two teams to under 10 points, and they lost both games their defense was really good yeah <laughs> like I, it's totally lost in everything else but because the offense was so putrid but yeah no their defense was good he, he didn't lose his touch as a defensive guy that's the thing with Belichick it was it was not replacing Brady properly not that you're ever going to re- replace Brady but not getting a good quarterback Mac Jones wasn't the guy and just not drafting well enough on that side of the ball lack of playmakers just yeah. period you, your receivers weren't good enough none of it was good enough um all right, so a couple other things. Uh, Jim Harbaugh will have his second interview with the Chargers today. That one just feels like that's the marriage, doesn't it, Harbaugh? And with, with with Herbert there, and he played for the Chargers back in the day as a player when he when they were in San Diego. That just feels like a fit to me. It does. It makes a lot of sense. And I can't imagine that Harbaugh's going back to Michigan. I think at this point there's enough buzz. That- yeah, when you're playing the field this much, how do you go back? Yeah, you know? and – I think it is a good fit. When you look at all of the vacancies around the NFL for head coaching jobs, for me, I think the Chargers are the most desirable destination simply because they do have a young quarterback that I think can become a franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. You look at the other teams, that's a big question mark on all these other teams. Atlanta, is Desmond Ritter, you rolling with him? Like you just mentioned, the Titans, Bill Levis, Carolina, is Bryce Young worthy of that first overall pick? Let's put it that way. Yeah, so I think the Chargers make a lot of sense for Harbaugh, and Harbaugh makes a lot of sense for the Chargers. So I think you're right. I think that's what's going to happen sooner or later. All right, elsewhere, uh, Debo Samuel does not have a fracture in the shoulder. There's no break there, Uh, but according to Kyle Shanahan, it's very sore, and it's if the, if he's going to be able to go or not. Um, so loss. It, that would be, that could potentially be a game changer in that. You know, I mean, I, I, I actually think Detroit hangs with them anyway. Um, that could flip it. That could really be a big deal um, for San Francisco. If that's the case. Yeah. I think Shanahan's a good enough coach that him knowing they won't have Debo will help because they'll be able to game plan and scheme for it where I think it did hurt them that they lost Debo in the middle of the game there because you have a plan. But one of the things that we talk about a lot 
and Seth Joyner mentions it a lot with that San Francisco 49ers offense. They have so many interchangeable parts where Christian McCaffrey can become the Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel can become Christian McCaffrey. You know, they can move them all around. So, yes, it's a big loss, but they should be able to make up for it with the other pieces they have. And I don't think I appreciated coming into this season how good Brandon Ayuk was. Yes. Because he added an entirely different element to that team that I didn't know they had. You know, I, I knew about Debo, you knew about McCaffrey, you knew about Kittle. But Brandon Ayuk, he was an all-pro this year, wasn't he? He was excellent. And I'll tell you the other thing, that you, if you watch them a lot, he makes very high degree of difficulty catches. Like, well, if he's well-covered or it's a low throw and he's got to dig it out, whatever, he makes really hard catches. He's, he's good, man. He's damn good. He's on any other team. He's probably getting the hype that he deserves. But because there are so many other guys there, he gets sort of swallowed up. And tell me this, Rob, because we talk about how much of a magician Howie Roseman is with the salary cap. And I get it. They're not paying their quarterback a lot of money. I'm sure that helps. You know, you're playing about Brock Purdy, pretty much nothing. True. But you look around that roster. How the hell do they have all of this talent? Just look at the defense. You got Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Javon Hargrave, who they paid a ton, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw. Their secondary stacked. Then you go over to offense. They got Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Trent, Trent Williams. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> it's how the hell I don't did know. they build this team under a salary cap? I guess who, it's all because they're not paying Purdy. It, that helps. But whoever Lynch's capologist is, that guy's really good. He's yeah, really they're, good. They're a yeah. deep team for sure. Yeah. No, they are. No question about that. All right. A couple other things. Dan Morgan has been hired as the Panthers GM. He had been the assistant GM there. He's actually a local guy. He moved in high school, but he grew up in uh, in the Upper Darby area. Uh, went to Upper Darby, Upper Darby High School his freshman year, moved to the Miami area, and the rest was history. He was a great player for the Hurricanes, et cetera. But uh, he's been there for a while. They elevated him. I don't envy him having to work with that owner. Um, no you way. know, it, it's a tough spot. But, you know, nonetheless, I'd like to see a guy like that, you know, work his way up. What, what was he, a linebacker? Yeah, linebacker. He's a good player. Like he played New Orleans. He played Carolina. He had he had concussion issues and had to duck out a little early. But he was very good. He was a great player. He was an All American for Miami too. Uh, he was a good player. Good player. But so yeah, he's he's uh, he's their GM now. He's got you talk about work cut out for you. I mean, coach uh, is Bryce Young the guy? There, there's so many things to get into with that team. Uh, speaking of, so Bobby Slowick. Um, we'll have his second round of interviews with both the commanders and the Falcons. Um, he's the, the, uh, court offensive coordinator for the commanders and has done a heck of a job there, uh, with those guys. And I mean, I read this testimonial that CJ Stroud gave to him. Whoa. It was yeah. like, this guy played to my strengths. He wasn't afraid to coach me hard. He got on me, but we all knew he cared. He, we, we felt like every week we had the advantage. He was going to out scheme the other team. It wasn't just your usual stuff. Like it was like somebody hire this guy. You know, he, he's, he's the real deal. And so I guess if the Falcons don't go with Belichick, which I'm still surprised if they've interviewed him twice, what, what do you need? What else do you need to know? <laughs> it's Bill Belichick. Yeah. Can you send me your resume, Bill? I, yeah. I need to dig a little bit deeper into this. It's like so that tells me they're not as interested as maybe we all originally thought. And you just mentioned Jeff, um, Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers per Mike Arafolo of NFL media. That's within striking distance of a deal Ooh. getting done. So probably going to hear that today, according oh. to Mike Arafolo. 
Yeah, so that now they're starting to fall in place, right? You know, we we got a couple, a couple here now, right? Callahan ends up the Titans, this one to the Chargers. Yeah, I would imagine unless you're well, I guess you could even do it. Like if, if you're still talking about a team that's still playing. Yeah, like Ben Johnson maybe somewhere. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, can you could you announce Ben Johnson now? I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can. They may have to sit tight on that. I mean, but usually you'll get the leaks to the media that once they're out, that's going to be the guy they're going with. But you haven't heard anything from uh, Ben Johnson. I can't imagine Ben Johnson doesn't get one of these, you know, with the way Detroit's – what's happened with them. Yeah, and then, you, then you'll see. I mean, look, Dan Campbell – Great coach. We all give him a lot of credit, but can he survive losing coordinators? That's a true testament to a great coach. You look at Andy Reid, he's been the one constant. You look at his coaching tree, how many damn coordinators have come through that he's lost, but yet Andy Reid keeps on ticket, keeps on ticket. That's the sign of going from a good coach to a great coach when you can survive even losing coordinators. I'll tell you the the other thing that would be interesting if – there's talk if Ben Johnson goes to the commanders, you know who his offensive coordinator would be for Washington. Yeah. Hank Fraley. You oh, because he's the run game. He's the run game coordinator in Detroit. Honey buns would be his OC <laughs> former Eagle center. Hank yes. Fraley. This was pre Kelsey days kids for, yeah. for, <laughs> for our younger audience who may not remember that there was somebody actually played center before Jason Kelsey. It, it actually did happen. Yes. Uh, so yeah, there yeah, was a, uh... Hank Fraley was it Jamal, Jamal Jackson, Jackson. Yes, played. Yes. So That's you know correct. what? You just reminded me too, because as we're talking about Hank Fraley being the run game coordinator, the one thing that really surprised me this season is we put a lot of a lot of heat on Howie, Nick, Brian Johnson, and we love Jeff Stoutland, one of the greatest offensive line coaches we've ever seen. But when we're talking about hey hey they couldn't pick up the blitz, they had no answers for the blitz. Well. Jeff Statlin is a part of that mm-hmm. room. He's a part of that strategy and that game plan. So it surprised me. Now, maybe they weren't listening to Jeff Statlin. Maybe this is another question we need to ask of Sirianni tomorrow is, hey, did you not listen to Jeff Statlin when he would talk to you? But look, Jeff Statlin, one of the greatest position coaches we've ever had. What he did with Jordan Mailata is remarkable. What he did with Jason Kelsey, remarkable. But how come he wasn't able to fix some of these problems? Well, think about it. Like, we kill Tracy Rocker, who's the defensive line coach, because the D-line underachieved, right? And fairly yeah. so. We, I mean, he just, he'll, I don't think he's going to be back, but whatever. Um, yeah, Stoutland, if, if we're going to praise him the way that we always do, he's got to get some heat. Kelsey's got to get some heat. Yeah. Everybody along that offensive line's got to get some heat. You know, it's, it's not just Jalen. Yeah, that's the only thing that's that's really bothered me with with some fans since the season ended is everybody wants Sirianni gone and Jalen Hurts isn't the franchise quarterback we thought he was. But yet, God forbid we say something about Howie Roseman or Jeff Stoutland or it's no, 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 you you can't do that. This is all Nick Sirianni. This is all Jalen Hurts. Well, look, this was a collaborative effort here. This was a massive failure across the board. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't understand why other people get a pass, but Sirianni, who has had success, doesn't get a pass I at all. I, no argument here. Um, all right, let me hit you with this one. The Chiefs-Bills game pulled in a 50.3 million uh, viewer uh, rating, which is the most ever for a divisional round game. I, I got to tell you, I'm not one bit surprised. It wow. was a great game. It was basically in prime time Sunday night. 
between two teams that have gone at each other a ton in the playoffs. It had all the earmarks for it. Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised one bit. It's interesting because there was an article before you and I came on the air talking about how there was a decline on the ratings for that game. But now CBS has released theirs saying, no, that, that report was wrong. It has gone up yeah. to 50 million. <laughs> That's insane, man. You kidding me, man? Oh, my God. It's, that it, it is, is amazing. Insane. But, hey, it doesn't surprise you. I mean, one, the NFL just keeps becoming even more of a behemoth. And then you had another epic matchup between Mahomes and Josh Allen and the yeah. Bills and the Chiefs. So doesn't surprise me at all. No. And look, it's, we're going to be talking about the NFL 365 days a year. They, they have won every single day of every single month. It's the <laughs> NFL. Yeah. Uh, Deuce Staley, speaking of former Eagles, and he was unceremoniously dumped in uh, Carolina with Frank Reich and you know everybody else, it seems like. Um, but he has met with the Jets about their running backs coach job. So Deuce, Deuce looking to get back in. I know some people were talking about him potentially coming back here, which – you know, I don't think it's out of the question, but I don't know that Deuce would want to come back here. I don't I don't know, uh, you know, where his his mindset is uh, at this point. But it's a shame. You know, it's funny, man. You, you know, you, you're you're in consideration potentially for the head coaching gig at one point, And then now you're interviewing for a running backs coach job like it, it can just it can flip on you really quick in this business. It really can. And that's that's Deuce's plight here because he just ended up in a bad spot in Carolina. Not for long, right? That's what they say the NFL stands for. Yeah. So you got to strike while the iron is hot. That's why That's why I don't fault these players, coaches, doing whatever they need to do to get as much money they possibly can in contracts because you just never know how quickly things change, man. Agreed. All right, let me give you the pro football writers all-rookie team. I'll give you offense, defense, and special teams. Offense. Quarterback, C.J. Stroud, no surprise there. Yeah. Uh, running backs, Jameer Gibbs, who's been really good for the Lions. Uh, Bijan Robinson, who I don't think was utilized, right? But whatever. He, he, they're the two running backs. Jordan Addison had an excellent year with the Vikings. Puka Nakua with the Rams. Incredible. God, man, a lot of these are no-brainers. Sam Laporta with the Lions for the tight end spot, no doubt. Uh, center Joe Tipman for the Jets. Steve Avila, a guard for the Rams. Osiris Torrance. For the Bills, also a guard, uh, Dewan Jones for Cleveland, a tackle, as well as Darnell Wright for the Bears. So that's the offensive side of the ball. Defensive side of the ball, D-line. Will Anderson of the Texans, Jalen Carter of the Eagles, uh, Tuli Tui Pelotu for the Chargers, Kobe Turner for the Rams, your linebackers, Jack Campbell for the Lions, Ivan Pace Jr. for the Vikings, Byron Young for the Rams, uh, Eagles fans, Cornerback uh, Joey Porter Jr., who was taken after Nolan Smith for the Steelers. Devin Witherspoon for the Seahawks. Safeties, Jordan Battle, Cincinnati. Uh, Jair Brown for the 49ers. Special teams, place kicker Jake Moody of the Niners. Punter uh, Bryce Barringer for the Patriots. Kick returner Marvin Mims Jr. for the Broncos. Darius Davis, punt returner for the Chargers. Special teams. Jarek Reed the second for the Seahawks. So good to see Jalen Carter get in there. Yeah, really no surprises there. Those guys all played played really, really well. But you you, you mentioned Bijan earlier, and I, I think that's part of the reason Arthur Smith was let go because he could not figure out a way to take advantage of 
not only Bijan, but Kyle Pitts, who they took, what, seventh overall? It feels like he's never, you know, since he's been there. Yeah, so they needed to do something to try to take advantage of this young talent that they had on yeah. offense. But, yeah, you're right. When you look at Joey Porter Jr., could have helped this team, but they go with Nolan Smith. You got to just hope that Nolan Smith's going to kind of be a guy who blossoms later on. He has all of the physical attributes. When you look at Hassan Reddick and you look at Nolan Smith, they look very similar as far as size and skill, but Nolan Smith's got to put it all together. And, and I was hopeful that we'd see more from him in his rookie season than what we saw because he really didn't give us anything from the Boy, let, let's talk about that for a minute. So the two young guys who are who are so unbelievably critical the next year, Nolan Smith being one of them, especially with the uncertainty surrounding Reddick and Sweat and their contracts yeah. and all that. Actually, I'll go. I'll go three on you, and they all play at the same college here. But I'm going to go Nolan Smith. I'm going to go Jordan Davis, and I'm going to go Nicobe Dean. I mean, if you think about it, like if Fletcher Cox walks, Jordan Davis has to become a big boy with Jalen Carter. He's got to. Yeah. If any of those guys depart on the edge, you're really going to be counting on. I know they're going to draft guys too, but you're going to be really counting on Nolan Smith. And then to Kobe Dean, even though I would never give him the starting gig going into next year, if he could develop into what they thought he was going to be, a playmaking linebacker, I mean, does this team not need anything more than that right now? Definitely need a linebacker. But I, I wouldn't put it past Howie Roseman, knowing how much we know that he loves to build along the defensive line. I would not be surprised if when free agency comes that they make some sort of splash bringing in an edge rusher. I mean, you got Josh Allen from the Jags is available, but like a player like that, a big name where maybe they don't bring back Reddick or they somehow extend Reddick, but I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in another stud edge rusher. You know how much he loves building along the lines, and he thinks he's got his D tackles. Mm -hmm. I, I think Milt Williams is very underrated. I, I think he was a great draft pick, third overall. And it's funny because if you go back, do you remember that draft room video where – Roseman goes to give the fist bump to the scout, and he's mad. They took Milton Williams. So right. that that was actually turned out to be a, a pretty good damn pick. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they do something on the edge. But you're right. Nolan Smith, important. Jordan Davis, important. Jalen Carter, important. N'Kobe Dean, important. So, hey, any chance, Rob, we're talking about Ron Rivera, any chance they interviewed him last year, they could bring in the Georgia Bulldog defensive coordinator to pair with all these former Bulldogs. Well, uh, yeah, and uh, and just to, to your point, um, Jeff McClain dropped that little nugget on us yesterday, and he said that it's Schumann is his last name. Yeah. I think it's Glenn. Uh, was their first choice for defensive coordinator, and he decided he wanted to you know stay in Georgia, whatever. But if that guy was their first choice, I can't imagine – he's not at least going to come in for another interview, right? Unless he's just telling them, hey, I'm good. I don't want to leave Georgia. Fine, whatever. But I, I can't imagine they don't sweep the pot a little bit and maybe talk to him again. I don't I don't know that I love making this so Georgia-centric. Yeah. It's big, it's <laughs> you know, it's like, but I can't imagine they don't have that conversation with the guy again. But he he's was only the one they 33. wanted. 33 he years old, man. That's it. 33 years old. And they, like you said, they wanted him last year. But I, I still – my concern, as much as I'd love a young guy too or Jesse Minter from Michigan, I'm still thinking that in light of what we kind of saw this year 
I like the veteran coach. I like bringing in the Ron Rivera. I like bringing in a guy who's done this before, who's had head coaching experience that can help be a sounding board for Nick Sirianni. I think that could have helped this year. When things started to go off the rails a little bit this year, who'd you have? Matt Patricia was the only other guy on the staff that had a lot of experience. I mean, Brian Johnson, first-time coordinator. Sean Desai, okay, he had done it before. I guess he was the assistant head coach in, what, Seattle or Chicago. Right. But it'd be nice to have some veteran presence because, look, Matt Patricia didn't have any success as a head coach. It'd be nice to have guys who came in here who we know are liked by their players and have had some success to help Sirianni. But we'll see what happens. All right, let's hit it. Let's come back. We'll we'll jump around a little bit. Uh, We'll we'll always circle it back to the Eagles. We've got a bunch of other things that we will get into, including who could get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, Uh, any of the former Phils. We'll, We'll dive into that and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, when we get back, don't go anywhere. That's Bill Calarulo. I'm Rob Ellis. We are Sports Take. Right back. Professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut and Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first. <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with first trust. Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their fantasy pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday, watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN.
GLES Eagles. We're back. Appreciate you hanging with us today. Uh, that is Bill Calarula. Bill, good job jumping in uh, the last couple days. Tone will be back in tomorrow, but we appreciate it, man. Uh, Our last half hour together, Rob. I know, man. I know. But you can catch Bill. And, and again, you know, uh, every single day uh, you can catch Bill. Bill comes on at 10 every single day uh, right here. And you can check out the uh, – which I'm a huge fan of, by the way, the Sports Power Hour and also Legal Hands to the Face – which is when on on Jacob and I know you can, you can get it anywhere you have you know you you listen to your podcast and whatnot but where can you where can you catch it here? We're live every Monday night at six thirty. Perfect. And then, yeah, I, I post videos all day on my social channel, so follow me there. I, I like I like doing the little quick hitters, the sixty ninety second hits on Instagram Reels and TikTok because it allows people to comment, engage, give me their opinions. I get a lot of messages from people. I try to respond to everybody, so hit me yeah. up. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, all right. So let, let's hit a couple of different things here. So I, I am not, I was a, I had about a two year window when I was around 11, 10, 11 years old when I followed wrestling. And that was, that was the end of my wrestling days. But uh, I know a lot of people are still big wrestling fans, Netflix and WWE raw uh just uh, came to an agreement on a 10 year, $5 billion dollar, deal now yeah netflix can has an opt-out after five i believe um but yeah that's that's huge serious coin right there that is huge yeah so for me when i was a kid a little bit into wrestling as a kid but then when i was in high school wrestling became like really cool it was like during that attitude era Mm -hmm. where you had like stone cold steve austin and the rock and all of us were watching wrestling back then. And then the NWO was going with WCW and you had Hulk Hogan and all that. So that was kind of like a cool time in wrestling. But I tried to get back into it recently. I just can't do it, man. I just can't do it. I, I've tried to watch it because my dad kind of still watches it. <laughs> Your dad does? <laughs> Doesn't do it for me, man. But I'll tell you what I do love are the wrestling documentaries. Oh, they're you- so good. So good, man. I well, love like Andre the Giant and yes. Rowdy Roddy Piper and those guys, man. You know uh, what hit me on the Andre the Giant one? And I think it was HBO that did it. But what hit me was when they were talking about how other celebrities, when they go out in public, can throw on a hoodie so people don't recognize them or they can go places and nobody recognizes them. Andre the Giant couldn't go anywhere because you clearly knew it's Andre the Giant. He's not true. putting a hoodie on. And then they also talked about when he would have to travel overseas to wrestle in Japan. Airplanes aren't made for people no. that big. Especially he would have to couldn't go to the bathroom. He couldn't no. get in the damn bathroom. Like I was like, man, that is wild. Like he would he would be in like total pain jamming himself into these seats and yep. trying to get up and oh and he he was just not a real happy human being to begin with, <laughs> by all accounts. And yeah. Yeah, no, but that was a good documentary. But that's interesting, man. Netflix and, and WWE. Yeah. Uh, Baseball Hall of Fame voting. We're going to find out later today who gets in. It looks like none of the 07 to 11 Phillies, but Chase Utley is going to make a pretty good run here. They think he may get upwards of like 40% of the vote, which would bode well for him, you know, down the line next time. We need um, 75%. Yes. Yeah, but usually when you make that in, in your first year of eligibility, when you do that well, that's a good sign for you. And there's all these 
you know, sort of like nuances to it and uh, numbers to it and all that kind of stuff. But uh, here's my question for you. Does any of that crew, Rollins, Howard, Utley, in your estimation, do they belong in? I think Utley should be in because you look back, what was it, from, I guess, 05 to 09, Utley was by far the best second baseman in baseball. I mean, and the things that he was doing on that Phillies team, by far the best second baseman. And I just love the way he played. I know they don't always factor that in, but for me, I think Utley should make it. And even Rollins has a pretty good case as well when you look at his final numbers and his final statistics. What I would hate to see is Abreu get in and none of those guys get in. But mm-hmm. I know Abreu, you look at his final numbers, he's got a shot. But it's tough, man. I, th- these Major League Baseball Hall of Fame voters always throw me off. I, I don't understand sometimes with their decisions. Yeah, I, here's where I'm at. Um, I think Rollins is more worthy uh, just from, from total career body of work. I would agree with you that the five years that Utley had – he was the best second baseman in the game. He was dominant, pure dominance. I just, it sucks. But that knee, you know, the knee that was deteriorating yeah. on him, I think hurts him. Um, and I think it hurts him. His overall numbers are a little bit hurt by it. Like Jimmy's got some crazy numbers, man. Yeah, he's you know. one of, looking now, only one of only five shortstops with 2,000 hits and 200 home runs. Yeah. And the, look at the amount of triples. Yeah, and he joins the I mean the only other shortstops that did those numbers, Cal Ripken Jr., Hall of Famer, Derek mm-hmm. G, Hall of Famer, Robin Yount, Hall of Famer, and then six-time all-star Miguel Tejada. So yeah, yeah. he's got he's got the numbers. MVP award, obviously, a lot of gold gloves, a lot of silver slugger awards. It'd be nice to see one of those guys get in. Dan asked me if I think Utley's better than Altuve. Uh, no, I think Altuve's body of work is going to be better than Chase Utley's. Um, I think Utley, again, I think for that five years, he dominated like no other second baseman in the game did. But Altuve yeah. is going to have, what, multiple World Series. Utley has one. He'll have multiple World Series, which helps him. Um, and his, his numbers, his overall numbers are going to be better. He's been able to stay healthier. Um, so, no, I, I, I would go Altuve. Uh, but, I look, I – I don't think it's impossible for both of those guys to get in. I think, unfortunately, with Ryan Howard, after the Achilles, he was nowhere near the same guy, you know. And I think he's going to go down as a very good, not great. That Achilles tear was the last swing of that season, wasn't it? It was the last swing of that season, and it was the end of that era. I was going to say, that was was, the end of the era. It was the book shutting on that, you know, that was a wrap. You know, for watching that happen, and then that was that was it. That that era of that team that was so likable, man. They they were such a great team because they were all like homegrown, and you watch them grow up and finally get over the hump. And you had Pat the Bat there. That was nice, man. That well, I, nice. I think too the, the shame of it is, and I hope I look at some of those, like I look at that team and I say, how did they not win two? How did they not win two? I'm look. I'm very. Oh nine. They, they had the best pitching staff. I, I can't believe they didn't win in 09 when they went back against the Yankees. Yeah, and then and then when the, when you get Holiday, like I'm trying to say myself, figure out how they don't win two. I'm glad they got one, but I hope we don't look back at this Eagles era and say how did they only get one. I hope we don't look back at this Phillies era and say how did they not get any. Yep. That's, you know, you can't take it. You can't take it for granted, man. Like that's just, I said this to you yesterday when. Super Bowl 57 ended last year. 
After I got myself out of the fetal position that I was in all night, <laughs> crying myself to sleep, I woke up the next day and you got, I had to get on a plane. I had a legal conference in Utah, which was okay. brutal because you get there and everybody knows I'm an Eagles fan and every single damn lawyer who, number one, I don't want to talk to you anyway because you're an attorney and usually you're not fun to talk to. <laughs> Once they, oh, what happened to the Eagles last night? Like, get uh, out of my face. What this was after after the Super Bowl loss, you had to hop on a plane to Utah. I had to wake day? up. I had to wake up the next morning. I had like a seven a.m. flight out oh. to Utah for a legal conference, and I get out there, and you know, it's all non-Philadelphia fans. Just wanted to ask you what happened, but after I let all those emotions subside, I took some solace in the fact that it was okay. Damn. But we got. Jalen Hurts and we have a good young roster and we have a great head coach and you know we're going to run this back you can't take it for granted man because now how far away do we look that's the thing man and really any sport but especially in the NFL it can change on a dime it can change so fast and you you were set up you were up 10 at the half oh and then you got Mahomes limping into the damn locker room, and I'm getting texts from my buddies who are all Giants fans. Congratulations, you won the Super Bowl. Oh, I'm like, no. stop, stop. Oh my God, are you serious? Oh man, you're I, bringing I, back all the anger again, man. Uh, so I was doing a uh, the post game show for WIP at the Philmont, which is an unbelievable venue. Okay, so we go out, we do a halftime hit. Think about this: the Eagles are up ten. The place is rocking. I'm on stage like I'm a rock star. Like there's like balcony seating. I'm looking around like this can't be real, right? And it's it's crazy, right? I am not kidding you, Bill. We come back out to do we come out to do the post game show. It is a ghost town. There's like tumbleweed, you know, going across the the floor. It was, I mean, it, if if there was anything that slapped you in the face, like holy crap, they just lost this thing. It was that. Well, they were really thirty minutes away. From not only winning the Super Bowl, obviously, but that would have gone down as probably the greatest season in maybe Philadelphia history. Not only Eagles history, Philadelphia history. When you look at the entire picture from that season, they dominated from week one all the way through. Almost wire to wire. Yeah. It was unbelievable what they did. And then you look at Jalen Hurts and the stat line he put up in the Super Bowl, and as well as he was playing in that Super Bowl, that's what made it even more frustrating to me with that holding call on James Bradbury because I just wanted to see Jalen get the ball in his hands one more time to see if he could drive down the field. Now, he does get it with, what, you know, 15, 20 seconds left? I forget what it was. But if they would have not called that holding call on Bradbury, Hurts would have gotten the ball back. And the way he was playing, I think he drives him down and they tie that game up. Jeez. Damn yeah. it. Damn it, Rob. We should I, be, you know, what we should have been done, doing for three hours today on Sports Take is we should have been talking about all the matchups no. between the 49ers and the Eagles in the NFC Championship <sighs> game, the rematch from last season. And instead, we're sitting here about who's going to be the OC, who's going to be the DC. We got Joe Santaliquito on talking about Jalen Hurts' leadership. What a change from what I thought we would be doing this week. I know. I know. I know. I know. Uh, all right. A couple other odds and ends here. I mentioned this with Keith Pompey trade between the Hornets and the heat. Uh, Charlotte sends Terry Rozier to Miami for Kyle Lowry and a protected 2027 first round pick. This is a money move where Charlotte's just taking some money. Uh, and I think Lowry will be released. So he'll be free to go. I guess if it's a waivers thing, whoever gets first, uh, whoever has the worst record gets first shot kind of works that way. So the Sixers wouldn't 
have an opportunity for a while. Uh, elsewhere, Tristan Thompson, for those of you who didn't realize he was still playing in the NBA, he is. He was suspended 25 games without pay for violating the league's anti-drug policy. Um, he tested positive for ibutamorin. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, which is a growth hormone commonly used by bodybuilders and weightlifters to enhance muscle. So uh, there you go. Tristan Thompson yeah. sitting. And uh, other news in the NBA, it looks like Halliburton's going to be out for three games with a hamstring injury. Does that make him miss? That makes him miss the Sixers. That's a big break for the Sixers. Halliburton. He always seems to play well too, because him and Maxi got that little rivalry going, right? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, a big you're right. Break them. No, that is that is good for the yeah. The Sixers go um, Indiana, Denver uh, is what they have coming up next. So that's uh, yeah, that is a break. You're right uh, for sure. All right, uh, so it's looking like Joe Mauer's in good shape. Todd Helton's in good shape. Billy Wagner is in good shape right now to get into the hall of fame, Gary Sheffield, just on the outside looking in as is Andrew Jones, uh, Carlos Beltran, Chase Utley, uh, a rod, Manny Ramirez, Bobby Abreu, uh, Jimmy Rollins down at like 15%. So that that's what it's looking like right now. Uh, we get any word we'll pass along. I look to me, I, I don't know how you feel about this. I, I always like to see the Philadelphia athletes get in. But I'm not someone who loses their mind over this kind of stuff. Like it's like, all right, Chase didn't get in, Jimmy didn't get in. I, I, I'm okay. <laughs> it's not the end of the world, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I, I tend to lose my mind a little bit more when we're talking about Philadelphia Eagles players more so than for for baseball. Like one of yeah. the guys that Eric Allen, the fact that he's not in the NFL Hall of Fame is is just crazy to me. Right. One of the best to ever do it. But mm-hmm. for baseball, only because, and maybe I'm wrong for saying this, but the Baseball Hall of Fame has kind of lost its luster for me because they don't put in the guys who have the scandals with the steroids. It's not really a true testament of who your best players were. Anybody whose name was around that era isn't in. Yeah. So to me, you know, you don't have guys in there that probably should have been in there. So it's not the same. But for me, I, I always look at the, Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I get angrier when some of our Eagles players don't get in. But well, I was talking about the, the most amazing thing to me when it comes to baseball and just the differential with baseball and football. Guys who test positive in football, it's like five games, let's go, he's back, all good. Yeah. There's no scarlet letter on them. Baseball players, you know, it's just you're, you're held to a different sort of old school standard. I, I think people look at the NFL and say, I get it. You got to do whatever you got to do to get your body ready to go through that hell. Yeah. And they, they're not willing to accept anything else. And you just reminded me. So on my Philly Sports Power Hour, I always do the uh, today in sports history, right? So today in sports history, you got to go back to January 23rd of 1950. The NFL finally made it an official rule change that they called the free substitution rule, where you could actually substitute players after any play. Uh-huh. Before that, if you took them out of the game, it was like baseball. They were out of the game. So guys right. just played offense, defense, special teams. So it's interesting. February, or excuse me, January 23rd, 1950, 
you started to get these specialists who could just play offense or defense or special teams. But could you imagine watching 60-minute NFL games where the players just never left the field? I did it in high school. That was fun in high school. I never came off the field in high school. Yeah, I don't – man, oof, I – that would well, be ben Derek did it right. Chuck Ben Derek played both ways. Ben Derek, yeah, he played both ways. Uh, he came into the league right before that rule. Actually, his first his rookie year was forty nine. Eagles won it that year. Eagles won it 48, 49, and sixty. He was on the forty nine and sixty team. Ben Derek, and at in sixty as an older guy, he still played center and linebacker in like his twelfth year. You yes. imagine Kelsey? Kelsey's also playing linebacker in addition to playing center at this point in his career. That's it's insane. Nuts. It was I, a different universe, man. You just reminded me too. I liked uh, Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, Dre Greenlaw makes that interception to seal the game, and <laughs> he should go down. And he's running, yeah. and the ball's out here like this. And they asked Shanahan after the game. He said, "If I knew we wanted to play offense that much, I'd put him on offense. If I knew we wanted to carry the ball that much, I'd put him on offense." Unbelievable. Greenlaw. I thought this was interesting too. Uh, pro football talk. Now, there wasn't any implication that Hertz wants to be traded or they want to trade Hertz or whatever. But they, they, the way Hertz contract is structured. So in the story, they say, unlike many high end quarterbacks, Hertz deal makes it fairly simple. If the Eagles want to do this, meaning trade him, uh, if Hertz would waive his no trade clause for it, he's been paid 24.3 million. This is of the $250 million contract. He's been paid 24.3 million so far. The cap hit for a pre-June trade would only be $18 million for 2024. And then he'd be off the books in 25. So all I'm saying is keep this one in the in the back of your mind if things really go sideways. Like trading him is not as impossible as maybe some people think. Like I'll give you an example. He's got fully guaranteed option bonus for 24 in the amount of $38.8 million with an exercise window. This is we're getting in the weeds here. Uh, of the first day through the 10th league year. He's also got fully guaranteed 2024 salary of 1.125. That's it. Contract also fully guaranteed 2025 option bonus of 40.3 million, 25 fully guaranteed base of 1.17 million. That's 82 million fully guaranteed over the next two years, 41 per year. I mean, like, I know that sounds crazy, but like, that's, that's not that bad. Like it's, Hmm. that's doable if you had to do it. The fact you know, that we're gonna, even talking about this. I was going to say, you know you're going to get people now on Twitter. Rob Ellis said no. the Philadelphia Eagles are going to trade Jalen Hurts. Incorrect. No. <laughs> I, I actually – well, let, let's go there for a minute. I believe he will bounce back next year. I'm not telling you he'll play at the same level he played in 22. I don't know that we ever see that again from him. But I think he plays way better next season. Are you a believer? Do you have some doubt? I really believe in Jalen. I, I mean – Outside of this season, you've seen the guy get better every single year. We've heard he's a tireless worker. We know how competitive he is. And I just don't think that this one season should have us giving up on the guy. And I keep going back to to last year, but you look at last year, in addition to him having that historic season and him having an MVP caliber season, he always wanted the ball in his hands. You know, in the Super Bowl, that's why I said I really wanted to see him get the ball back. Look what he did every single time there was adversity. Everybody wants to point to that fumble, which really was a fluke play with him dropping that ball. But what did he do right after that? He drives his team right down the field to score a touchdown. Mm -hmm. They go down eight in the second half. 
what does Jalen Hurts do? He drives his team right down the field, scores a touchdown, and then runs in the two-point conversion. So this is a guy who we've seen him in big moments when there has been some adversity facing him. He delivered in big ways. This year, I'm kind of chalking up to, look, it was just an epic collapse across the board. Bad coaching, bad plays, bad execution by the players, not absolving Hurts. But I do think there is something to be said for that Super Bowl hangover. Remember when they were 10-1 and and everyone was asking, are they having fun? Jalen doesn't look like he's having fun. I really don't think they were having fun because in addition to Jalen Hurts getting a $255 million deal where I feel like he felt, felt every single play, I have to live up to that deal. They were also looking at it through the lens of anything we do this season, absent winning a Super Bowl, is a failure. So even though we're winning, are we good enough? And then when they got punched in the mouth by the 49ers, I think it was just over. I think reality set in. We're not good enough to win a Super Bowl, and that's why you saw a lot of the things you saw. So Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, the, the one thing, because we're always looking for accountability, right? Like, like, And some of that turns into finger pointing, which is all real and all valid with this Eagles team. But the, the thing is, what's really hard to sort of, because it sounds like you're just making an excuse. But when you say, look at the percentages of teams to get back to the Super Bowl after getting there and winning it or getting there and losing it, it's very real. There are some exceptions. We know that the Patriots and <clears throat> Kansas City may be able to do it too if they get a win uh, this week against Baltimore. But those teams are few and far between. So what happened was the Eagles in some ways just fell into the trap that so many of these teams fall into. And I don't know that you can just explain it all away that way, but it's real. I mean, the, the, the trends are what the trends are. And it, it's not something that's, I don't know, um, unusual. It would have been unusual had the Eagles gotten back, frankly. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this yesterday. You look at the history of the NFL. Teams that lose the Super Bowl. Only six coaches have ever gotten back. Not talking about winning the Super Bowl. That's a different hangover. When you lose the Super Bowl, when you get to the pinnacle and get that close and you lose, I think it's a different analysis than when you win the Super Bowl and try to get back. So you look at teams who've lost. There's only six coaches who ever got their team back. And I gave you the names yesterday. Legends, Tom Landry, Don Shula, Bud Grant, Dan Reeves, Bill Belichick. Did I miss one? Shula, Landry, Marv Levy, Marv Levy, Levy. Buffalo Bills. But you look at those six coaches, none of those coaches lost both their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator. That's only happened twice. Only twice in Super Bowl history has a team gone to the Super Bowl and lost both coordinators. The 2005 Patriots, who had Belichick and Brady, they could not get out of the divisional round. The 95 Niners who had George Seifert and Hall of Famer Steve Young. They could not get out of the divisional round. So I think when you look at this team, as bad as it was, as ugly as it was down the stretch, you can't ignore history that what they were trying to do really had never been done. No team had ever lost a Super Bowl, lost both coordinators, and got even to a championship game. Yeah, and and the question is, it's easy for us to say, hey, they, you know, they – it's so hard to get back to a Super Bowl. The Eagles can't lean on that. The Eagles have to really dig deep into what went on here, what went wrong here. 
the mistakes that were made from the jump in terms of personnel, the mistakes that were made, why you chose those guys to be the coordinators and they weren't the, the, the right person for the job. You know, you already made the decision to bring Nick back, which a lot of people are opposed to. Like there's so many different things that they have to get into philosophically before you even start to, to, to try to put this thing and fix what's on the field. I know it's not an excuse, Rob, but let's go back to 2004, 2005. Andy Reid, one of the greatest coaches we have ever seen in NFL history. Do you remember the Super Bowl hangover the Eagles had after losing that damn Super Bowl? It was a disaster the next year. I know T.O.'s doing sit-ups on his driveway and all that, but that year was an absolute disaster. So I think you need to look at history and say, hey, all right, this guy deserves another shot. This team deserves another shot, but they got to learn from their mistakes. Howie has to learn from his mistakes, and they got to hit right on these coordinators. I think it's also a reason why, you know, like you said, you don't, you try not to totally overreact. You know, you you still look at a head coach that got to the playoffs three times in his three years here, that got them out of a four win season to a to a nine win season, that got them to a Super Bowl the next year, that got them eleven wins. Yeah, it ended ugly, but like you look at those things. And that's where you, you you sort of have to say, okay, we believe in the guy who's kind of driving the bus. We need to fix some things. We need to upgrade it. We need to tune up here. But we believe in the guy who's in charge. And, hey, look, we all know that the, the, the response from everybody, if this year doesn't go well, will be, you waited a year too long, man. You know, you, 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 you should have pulled the trigger sooner, right? And they didn't. Um, but there's no question about it. Like, I think they – they feel like they didn't do him necessarily right with the people they put in place. I believe that. Like, if 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 I believe that Desai, especially or Desai and Johnson and or Patricia were all Sirianni calls, I think he'd be gone. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, if you're looking for a tell here of who who makes the decisions, I think those things would tell you. All right, uh, we are out of time. Bill, great job the last two days, man. I appreciate. Yeah, it, it was fun. Appreciate it, Rob. Yeah, Tone will be back tomorrow, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll keep it rolling. Thanks to everybody in the chat. Thanks to everybody streaming, everybody listening. Don't go anywhere because you have the National Football Show uh, coming up with Dan Cilio. Now, keep in mind, tomorrow, um, a lot of reaction probably in real time to what's being said at this press conference um, with Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni. So heavy reaction off of that, obviously, because there's going to be a lot to dive into and a lot of questions that need to be answered. For a lot of Eagles fans, uh, that's for sure. So uh, looking forward to hanging out with you guys tomorrow again. Bill, thanks. Appreciate it. Tony and I back tomorrow. Everybody have a great rest of your Tuesday. Stay tuned for Dan and the National Football Show. See you tomorrow.
Any professional sports coach will tell you there's no substitution for preparation. At Malamut & Associates, that is a tenet by which we live. We prepare from day one for victory. Anything less is not acceptable. Go passionately. Go fearlessly. Go confidently. Go first! <clears throat> Go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction. Go with trust. Go first! And go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.